Good evening. We're live. Good evening. Regular meeting of the Medford School Committee will come to order February 24th, 2020, Council Chambers, 7 p.m. Roll call. Member Van de Kloot. Member Graham. Present. Member Kretz. Here. Member McLaughlin. Member Mistone is absent. Member Rousseau. Present. Member Vanderkloot, present. Mayor Luongo Kern. Present. All, all, um, all rise to salute our flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Motion for suspension of the rules. Member Van de Kloot. I, I make a suspension in order to take up uh, number 61, 62, 73, and 76. Um, 61, community participation. Miss Judy Lonigan, Jingle Bell Run. If you want to, did you want to make an announcement, Judy? Sure. Oh, okay. You're the boss. <laughs> um, we're here, um, Lonegan Insurance and Real Estate, and Justin Lasko is representing Members Plus. We sponsor the Jingle Bell Walk Run that raises money for all the schools. So 100% of what the kids raise goes back to them. If they get runners, if they get sponsors, whatever means, chance, we sell chances. However means that they raise their money, it goes back to them 100% in Lonigan Insurance and Real Estate and Members Plus. We pay for all the, the shirts, the running company, all the expenses, so that 100% goes back to them. And if you run and you don't designate a school or a club or a team, that goes into a pool that we divide and the purse, the school that gets the highest number gets the highest percentage of that pool. So um, I know not everyone's here because of school vacation. So I'll give them, Justin's gonna hand the checks to the people and I will announce who's getting them for tonight. All right, Andrew School, they made, I forgot my name, what is that, $1,111.82 and Liz White is representing them. All right. Thank you. Brooke School made $1,385.87, and Jen Belitho, Belith, is that how I say it, Jen? Belitho. Belitho. All right, and she's also collecting for the girls' soccer, and they raised $360. Thank you. Thank you. The Medford High School, Medford Vocational, PTO raised $1,595, and Susan Power, her son Liam Antoine, Jen Overberg, and her son Hunter are representing the Vocational Medford High School. Thank you. I have to say, these mothers that just received the check have been with us since the very beginning, and we really appreciate the constant um, help and support that you have given us. I hope they never go to college, girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Next is in line is Katie Stefani, Karen Adams, Sierra Grant, who's director of the Medford um, Drama Club, Medford High School Drama Club, and they are getting a check for $1,975.70. You're welcome. Find your next production. <laughs> All right, the McGlynn Middle School. The assistant principal, Jody Liu, she's accepting a check for $2,875.68. Good for you. <laughs> Jody is also one of the mother, one of the um, parents, I shouldn't say parents, one of the teachers who help us on the committee. So we're open for anybody who would like to help us next year, which expands the, the race, the program, and the sponsors. So we start in September. And um, it's, it's a fun thing, and it's a lot of, and a good way to meet people that you don't know from other schools. All right, the next one is Columbus School, and they receive, wait a minute. Oh, next one is St. Joseph School. And they, uh, there's Jacob Yee and Grace and Violet Lonigan, who are representing St. Joseph's. And they are receiving a check. <laughs> They are receiving a check for $2,623.43. The Columbus School, I think a second, I don't have the, I have the list somewhere. Um, St. Joseph's was fourth. Second place is Columbus, and they are receiving a check for $4,699.76. And Christine Magadi is representing Columbus. You're welcome, thanks. We had 668 runners that had registered for this race, and of course it poured like insane. But we still had 400 and something people show up in the torrential rain. and. Um, First place had the most runners was Roberts with 128. Second was Columbus with 93. Third was St. Joseph's with 87. And the highest, and I forgot the trophies, they're in the Roberts again. Um, we give a trophy for the school that has the most runners and the school that raises the most money. And for the last like three years, I think the Roberts has won. And Erin and Courtney Sharon are here to represent the Roberts and they get $8,151. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thank I you. Th I think between, this is our seventh race, and I think we've raised almost $200,000 for the schools on this, so hopefully every year we'll get bigger and better. Thank you. Member Kretz? Oh, I think my button was pressed. I'm okay. sorry. No problem. <laughs> Member Van der Kloot? Uh, Judy, I just want to thank you before you leave the uh, auditorium for your amazing work. You and your... I know you, that's my next sentence, you and your team just do a fabulous job. The amount of money that was raised and has been raised consecutively. Do you have a total for all the years? 200,000. Wow.
Wow. That's just fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, Member Graham. Am I good? Am I on? Um, I also wanted to say thank you. This year in particular, I know it was um, a real team effort. We called in reinforcements from all over the place to make this race happen. Um, and there were lots of folks who jumped in, um, some of whom don't even have children in our schools, <laughs> like Lauren Felch um, and a number of other folks who really, really stepped forward to make this happen um, and really bolster the team this year. So I just wanted to say a special thank you to all the people who made this year's race in particular happen. Thank you. Yep. If I may, from the chair, I also want to thank Judy and Justin and the team and the PTOs and everybody from the schools who participated. To have 400 and over 400 people running in that rain is a testament to how great of a race it is in, in the community spirit. I, the whole race, I just followed my son who found the biggest puddles that he could find. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the grossest race I've, I've ever run, but it was still fabulous. So thank you for all you do for our community. Thank you. Superintendent. I just want to say thank you to all the participants and thank you for continuing to have this great race on behalf of our schools. Thank We're you. very appreciative. Absolutely. While we're under suspension, we have uh, Ms. Julie Matteris, um, who is here to announce Rare Disease Day, which is February, February 29th, 2020. Um, hello, hi, I'm Megan, and I'm Emily's sister. Um, thank you for letting me speak uh, to you about Rare Disease Day. There are over 7,000 rare diseases identified. Emily has one. She was the only one born in Massachusetts in 2003 to be born with one in Massachusetts. She has galactosemia. You can only get it if both your parents have dormant gene that matches up at con conception. It's a one in four chance, which is a large, which is just a large word that means her body cannot break down the sugar in that is in milk. There is no cure, but we are lucky that she, that all she has to do is follow a milk-free diet. If she does not follow the diet, the milk sugars will build up and she'll get cataracts and it will cause her kidneys and liver to shut down. Every person with galactosemia is different. Some don't have any complications besides the diet. My sister has a, has a lot of them. Hand tremors, speech, speech apraxia, intellectual dis disabilities. She also has some medical issues. At the moment, there is no cure, but they are working on one. I just really thank you for wearing a ribbon and supporting her so she knows we all care. Thank you. Yeah, you gave us ribbons. In the in the envelopes, there is a blue ribbon that says Emily and galactosemia on it. It's a blue ribbon, yep, save this for February 29th, right? 28th and 29th. 28th and 29th, and we'll be lighting up City Hall blue in honor of this special day. So. Thank you, great job. Reports of superintendent, we have number three which, uh, under suspension. Would you, would you like to speak? Okay, sorry. I have Member it. McLaughlin. 
Thank you. I just wanted to say thank you to the Mattarese family and especially to Megan and Emily for uh, being here tonight. Megan, um, uh, being a sibling of an individual with disability can sometimes be challenging because, you know, um, sometimes you don't always get the attention that other people do. So I think it's really remarkable that you were able to come up tonight and speak on behalf of your sister. So thank you. And Emily, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, we've been able to enjoy you for so many years. Medford is so lucky to have you as part of their community. You're so involved with Spotlight Productions. I love the way you bring a smile to everybody's face in our community. And I want to thank you and your parents for being here tonight to help us all remember the importance of every individual in our community. So thank you so much. Thank you again. Um, number three, recognition of Humanities Awards recipients. Doctor, we'll invite Dr. Nicole Chiesa to come up to help us present. Good evening. I'd like to ask my two teachers who were involved in our first set of awards, the Boston Globe Scholastic Writing Awards, to join me tonight. We had four teachers involved, but two of whom were able to attend tonight. So if Mr. Ambrose and um, Ms. Zeckman would like to come up, I believe Ms. McGinnis and Ms. Sanford are not here, but please feel free to come up. Okay. The first set of awards is the Boston Globe Scholastic Writing Awards. These awards are an important opportunity for students to be recognized for their creative talents. Uh, there were over 2,000 Massachusetts students entering the Boston Globe Scholastic Writing Awards this year, and I'm very pleased to announce that Medford had six scholastic writing honorees, two gold keys, two silver keys, and two honorable mentions. <clears throat> All winners receive a certificate for each award. Gold and silver keys will also receive a pin, and they will be honored at Tufts University on March 14th. Also, gold key winners, actually, um, they are, pieces are digitally sent to New York, and they are entered into a national competition. So we're thrilled um, to have all of our winners, and the two gold key winners will move on um, to the New York competition. Uh, we are very proud of all students that entered. It is not easy to enter your writing pieces um, and to share a piece of that with you. And I'd like to thank, again, Ms. McGinnis, Ms. Zeckman, Mr. Ambrose, and Ms. Samford. Um, as well as all of the uh, students who worked closely with them. Not every student could be here tonight because as you can imagine, they're involved in multiple activities, um, but they're very excited to have their name read um, on the television as well. Great. So with that, I think we begin with the gold key winners. Read as best as I can. Yes. <laughs> Some of the, yeah. Medford Public Schools is proud to recognize Sophia Hernandez for winning for winning the Gold Key Scholastic Writing Awards for 2020. Um, all the school committee is listed and signed. Nertha Richards. Sophia, Sophia, congratulations. Nertha R Richards is not here. We'll get yes. that to her. Catherine Schmidt. Kenza Belula. 
Would you like to announce the other award? Yes, I think you have okay. two more honorable mentions there um, for Rachel Myers. Oh, and yes. Catherine Schmidt. Uh, yep. Honorable mention, Scholarship Writing Award 2020, Rachel Myers. And another honorable mention for Catherine Schmidt. So double. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Amos. Okay, moving right along. Um, the next award for humanities is the English Speaking Union's Shakespearean Monologue Competition. Uh, Medford High School is very proud to have participated in this competition. Uh, there was a round that was held at the school level, and from here, the champion progresses to the state semifinals as Medford's representative. Um, in the semifinals, the winner delivers a monologue and a sonnet, and um, entrants come from public and private schools throughout the state. Students are assessed on understanding, delivery, and audience engagement. And this year we had our representative advance from the semifinals to the finals, which is an amazing accomplishment. And in the finals, this student became one of the top five high school Shakespearean performers in Massachusetts for this school year. Um, please join me in um, congratulating him. Yes, um, Nicholas Urasco. I also failed to mention that Mr. Bowen Flynn um, was the teacher who really supported him throughout this um, competition. So a thank you to Mr. Bowen Flynn who could not be with us tonight. Um, Mr. Uh, Member Rousseau. Yes, um, I, 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 when I read the, the list of the, uh, the titles of the pieces, I'm always like, oh, Yes. Why don't I have a copy? Can we get a copy of the pieces, Yes, please? what we first do is we make sure that the parents sign off and that okay. the student signs off just to make sure that they want to share it um, with everyone. So that we have a specific permission slip. So that's coming out absolutely. And then what we also like to do is publish it on our website as well okay. once they do that. So yes, Excellent. every Thank year you. we'll get that. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> All right, last but not least is Medford High School's mock trial team. And tonight we have the um, mock trial team advisor, Ms. McMahon, along with attorney Rumley, and I'd like to invite them both um, to join me, if that's okay. Yes. A little background on Medford's mock trial. Um, this is a competition with other, Medford, with other Massachusetts high schools. This is open to students in grades nine through 12, and students learn um, a variety of skills. They gain public speaking skills, they gain debating skills, analytical skills. At the end of each competition, and there were three that our students engaged in, um, they re do receive a verdict from the judge, but that is not how they win the competition. They instead have to attain a series of points in a variety of categories, including points for their opening statement, points for their closing argument, points for direct examination, cross-examination, and even witness performance. This year, our mock trial team participated in three competitions, all of which were held at Waltham District Court. 
At the first trial, Medford prevailed 88 to 73. During the second trial, uh, we narrowly lost to Winchester High School with a score of 81 to 77, but they did end their season with a third victory of 106 to 97. <clears throat> Excuse me, 106 to 97. Ms. McMahon is the hardworking advisor of this team. She supports the students tirelessly in, um, as they work on the variety of categories that I just listed. We also had attorney Mark Rumley, attorney Elise Copley, and attorney Robert Gilligan assist the students um, this year. They helped build their case, helped them interpret the case analysis, as well as the federal and state laws. And we are very grateful for their dedication and support. I know that they wanted to say um, something quickly, and then we have a sure. list of students to recognize. Sounds great. <laughs> One person wants to say. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to make this uh, uh, comment that for almost 40 years, I represented the city of Medford at all different levels from the district court to the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts. But this year, being part of uh, the mock trial team and helping Dana, but I did very little help with her. She prepared this team so well. I've never been as proud as a group, for, of, a, a group of youngsters in Medford and they competed in this, and it wasn't just about the law. There's an element of theatrics, there's an element of public speaking, but most importantly, there's an element of not being afraid to stand up and be afraid to present and to succeed and to know that success is always on the other side of resistance. This team was especially competent. I'm so proud of them, and I just wanted to say those words. And I also have to point out that the administration and uh, Dana McMahon, the faculty uh, consultant on this, they trusted her and she drew the best out of each, each performance. Um, I was honored to be part of it, and I think the city should know what great competition and great students we have. Thank you. Thank you. Miss um, Emily Gaddy. She's busy doing something else, probably Studying. very important. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, Isabella Batty. <laughs> Juliet Franks. Yusef Jihad. Lisa Lopez. Body hung. Maisha Vertilis. Christina Zhang. Abby Zawakil. 
Arthur Schillerman. And last but not least, Amishka Durali. Special thank you to all of you for supporting these students in their endeavors. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It's just one more. Report on Project 351 um, by Mr. Nicholas Tucci and Michael, um, Michael Downs, our two principals from the middle schools. Okay, good evening, Medford School Committee. It's my pleasure to be here this evening to speak to you about the involvement of two of our middle school students in Medford who participated in last month's Project 351 launch day on Saturday, January 18th in Boston. Eighth grade McGlynn Middle School student Sophia Hernandez and eighth grade Andrews Middle School student Jackson Olander were nominated by their teachers and selected by their principal to represent our community. These eighth grade students who represented Medford were chosen on the basis of Project 351's core values of their ambassadors. There are four core values. Kindness, the quality of being friendly, generous, considerate, and warm toward others. Compassion, the instinct to care deeply about others through the greater understanding of their life story and circumstances. Humility, the characteristic of being modest, especially when using one's power for the good of the community. And gratitude, the quality of being thankful, demonstrating appreciation and kindness with joy. Excuse me. According to Project 351's mission, they seek to develop the next generation of community first service <clears throat> leaders through customized service learning, hands-on community building, and values based on leadership training. <clears throat> Excuse me. Both Sophia and Jackson had a wonderful experience on the launch day at Faneuil Hall in Boston, where they got a chance to hear Governor Baker address the young leaders, perform acts of community service, and engage in interactive leadership activities, all designed to develop their leadership skills to one day uplift, unite, and transform the communities in which they live. We look forward to supporting their leadership projects this school year. At the same point in time, I'd like to turn it over to Sophia Hernandez and Jackson Olander, who will share some of their experiences. And first, I'd like to introduce <clears throat> Sophia Hernandez, eighth grader at the McGlynn Middle School, who'd like to go through a little brief presentation with a few PowerPoint slides. Sophia. Okay. Um, okay. So, this is just gonna be a wrap-up of like my day and everything, so. I was dropped off at my regional <clears throat> place and we went to Faneuil Hall 
and then we were sent to our volunteer stations and we got back at the JFK library. We had like a late reception and then we went home. So yeah. So this is a picture of everyone this year. Um, it's all the 351 cities in the Commonwealth District. So yeah. And this is just like, I was really, really nervous when I got at my bus stop. I didn't know like what to do and I soon made a lot of friends and we went on our way. So, so, um, I got at Faneuil Hall and everyone was so kind. I remember there's lines of people with smiles and high fives. I was so nervous to meet everyone, but I soon settled in. This is a picture of Faneuil Hall. Inside Faneuil Hall, this is where the kickoff started. I met everyone and we learned a special handshake and we learned the core values, unite, act, lead, and I really took that with me throughout the day. We heard everyone speak from Celtics players to the governor, and we learned about six-word memoirs, which were honoring our service leaders, and then we went on the bus for our volunteer stations. Okay, this is just a picture of the governor speaking. Just people, that's the governor up there. Just, and this is the choir. Okay, so there were multiple volunteer stations from the Greater Boston Food Bank to the um, Pine Street Inn in Boston. And I was located in Cradles to Crayons in Brighton. This is just a picture of all of the locations. So at Cradles to Crayons, this is a nonprofit organization and they make packs for underprivileged citizens, um, especially homeless children. And they make, they include everything from clothes to toys to books. And it was so fulfilling just to know that I was helping someone. So this is inside and everything. This is learning how to make the packs. This is, you can see a little more inside. And this was just a quote they have that really resonated with me. So you can keep on, yeah. And I was in the library, you can't really see that, and I was making book packs for kids. Again, this is just inside. And this is everyone who was stationed there. This is my service group. I think there's a lot of pictures, okay. Um, then we met back at the JFK library and we just talked about everything. And it was amazing. Um, we learned about how many people we impacted. So in, how many people was it? It's crazy. So in total, we helped 46,000 people. And that was just like in an hour. In Cradles to Crayons, I can tell you all the numbers. It was 1,088. The homeless shelter Pine Street Inn, it was 1,343. The food bank, 11,777. You get the point, it was just, crazy how much people we helped. Um, this is just at the JFK Library and we were just talking. Um, this was really nice. We just talked with everyone and the theme was good trouble and I couldn't believe how much good trouble we created that day. And then we just said goodbye and went home. Yeah, that's just a picture inside with my friend that was some cupcakes. <laughs> I like that picture and that's the end, okay? <laughs> Thank you.
and I'll just say to wrap up for Sophia, Sophia does plan to kick off her Cradles to Crowns initiative here in the uh, city of Medford at the Wizards versus the teachers, the middle school teachers basketball game on Thursday, March 12th. So I'd invite the community to participate and help out Sophia with her initiative in the city of Medford. Thank you. And now it's my pleasure to turn it over to Jackson Olander at the Andrews Middle School. So walking into this, I was completely terrified. Uh, the true beginning of this incredible experience was when I was called down to Mr. Downs' office. I didn't think I had done anything wrong. Um, I remember walking down the 8A hallway wondering what on earth could have landed me there. I can count on one hand the amount of times I had been sent to the principal's office before this, so I had no idea what was going to happen. Thankfully, the walk was short, so I didn't have too much time to ponder my imminent, imminent demise. I sat down, and Mr. Downs told me the basics behind the organization and asked if I was interested in serving. I said, okay, and so began my relationship to Project 351. Um, my name is Jackson Olander, and I am a Medford ambassador to Project 351. On January 18th, I had the privilege to attend Launch Day 2020. I truly believe I walked out of those doors a different person than when I entered. Going in, I had no idea of what to expect, but I know for a fact that what occurred on that launch day exceeded any possible expectations I could have had. I think it's impossible to truly do this amazing project justice, but I'm going to try to do so. Upon entering this massive room, I was sat in a group of other eighth graders who looked just as alarmed as I did. Um, we listened to short speeches from our peers and from the people we wish to emulate as we get older. And I was riveted. This beginning to our launch day was inspiring. It made me want to help the world. These inspiring people believed in us, believed in the change young people can make in the world. And that feeling was incredible. From there, we went to the truly amazing part of launch. We were divided into our service teams to go perform service in various locations. Each team was named after a well-known figure who dedicated themselves to, themselves to service. I was assigned to the Pete Freight's service team in honor of the man who created the Ice Bucket Challenge to raise money and awareness for ALS. Our group, along with several other service teams, went to UMass Boston to help prepare food for families and schools in need. Each group was placed making packaged soup mix to bag and send. The mix, when added to boiling water, would make a filling, nutritious meal. Our group of seven filled about six boxes of 72 packages each. After about three hours of this, we were sent to the JFK library to learn about our spring service project. The truest experience was the emotions brought from doing service. I will never be able to fully explain the feelings that came with this work. It was a fulfillment and a deep joy. In this environment, I felt for the first time in my life that I was doing something monumental that truly affected our community. In a few hours, our service team helped to feed thousands of people across Massachusetts. In all, the entire 2020 class of ambassadors fed and clothed almost 46,000 people. The experience was unreal. 
What stuck with me most was the connection I made with the other ambassadors. Everyone there had a different story, entirely different lives that, would, that likely would never have crossed otherwise. But for a few hours, we were connected and close. No matter what background a person came from, you knew that they were there because of a love of service and a driving passion to change the world. I believe that connection and that understanding drove us to be better and to bring out the best in each other. The joy that came with serving alongside these people has been unparalleled in everything I've done since. What comes next is our spring service led by ambassadors across Massachusetts. Every ambassador who registered will participate in drives across the state to benefit Cradles to Crans. Project 351 will be heavily involved in these drives. Once a week, registered ambassadors will participate in conference calls to learn techniques and strategies for running their drives. They will also receive packages to assist their efforts with frequently asked questions, alumni advice, and other essential assets. Mr. Downs has already allowed me to begin planning a donation drive at the Andrews, which I have very high hopes for. However, I will also run drives at two other locations in Medford. The Dance Haven and Salem Street Studios are both communities that I am deeply connected to. Both have large clientels of caring families and the three are relatively close together for easier collection. I hope to host events at these locations to raise money for the purchase of new clothes to donate in addition to the gently used clothes that will be donated. I plan to partner with Sofia Hernandez on this drive and we are currently planning on where and when to host events and drives. Personally, I am very excited about these drives. I know Medford can do a lot to help people and I am thrilled to be a part of that effort. If you are interested in donating, I will give you the information for these drives as plans are finalized. I will do my best to keep residents of Medford notified at, of any and all events for the service. Thank you for your time and thank you for taking such an interest in this project. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Suspension for, um, oh, yes. watched with pride when our students have been selected. It's a big deal to be selected from your school. And um, we are grateful for how well you will represented us already uh, on the uh, special day and um, your work in the future. Um, we expect to see a lot of you and uh, let us know if we can help. Thank you very much. Thank you and thank you for being here. Um, while we're under suspension, we're going to take negotiations and legal matters. Is there a motion? To executive session. Yep. Motion by uh, Member Russo that we go into executive session. Seconded by Member Graham. All those in favor? All those opposed? Motion passes. What did you say?
McLaughlin. All those in favor, all those opposed. We have a approval of the minutes of February 3rd, 2020. Motion to approve by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Rousseau. Member Rousseau. Uh, yes, um, <clears throat> um, on page two, it's not actually anything that needs to be changed, but uh, there is the motion to, we did vote to create an advisory committee. Um, I'm happy to work with the superintendent to do that, unless the superintendent is, I don't, we don't really have a lot of, I don't have a lot of experience with us creating these things. Um, so I don't know who was really supposed to take the lead in actually finding Is this for the task, for task force, food? Yeah, exactly, yes. yes. Uh, my office is gonna be putting together a committee. So we have the okay. task force up with the Board of Health and we're gonna be putting together a committee and we'll make sure there's a member of the school committee okay, on good. that committee, if Excellent. that's amenable. Yeah, I mean, this, this does require that there's at least one teacher, administrative and nursing representative, adjustment counselor. So, I mean, we, this could certainly be part of that, oh, okay. but I just feel way. like the recommendations within the school system will be so, I don't want to say, we could do uh, two. they'll be fo more focused. Mm -hmm. um, more focused on the schools? Yeah, we could do one through superintendent yeah. and one through my office for I mean, the city side. I don't really have a strong preference, but I do think that like, if we're pulling in these people through the schools, then they're probably gonna wanna meet during school time at the schools, which wouldn't work well. Yes, we can definitely do that. So, okay. We can yes. even um, advertise together and then separate the applications so we can get a good pool of people interested okay. if we wanna do it that Thank way. Thank you. I'm happy to advertise through a press release. Okay, roll call vote on the minutes. I actually have another question. Oh, yeah. Just Member McLaughlin. Yes, thank you. Um, I also had a question on the um, committee of the whole meeting that um, we had talked about scheduling for um, the students. I'm wondering if that's been scheduled for the student issue that was Minimum before wage. us last time. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was scheduled for March 4th at 4 p.m. We're going to do a walkthrough of the high school, then we're going to sit down and meet on the minimum wage. 4 okay. o'clock on March 4th. And did anybody notify the... Okay. Wednesday, March 4th. Yes, that will be It has not been posted at the clerk's office yet. Okay, just as a follow up, we said somebody would email the in student, yes, students. You will. Okay. I, emailed, I received an email from some students. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, roll call for the minutes, Ms. <laughs> Member Vandekloot? Yeah. Member Graham? Yes. Member Kretz? Member McLaughlin? Yes. Member Mastone is absent. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Vanderkloot? Yes. Mayor Luongo Kern? Yes. All those in favor? None in, the, none in opposition. Minutes pass. Approval, approval of bills, transfer of funds, and approval of payroll. Motion to approve by Member Rousseau, seconded by Member Kretz. Roll call. Member Graham? Yes. Member Kretz? Yes. Member McLaughlin? Yes. Member Mastone? Is absent. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Vanderkloot? Yes. Mayor Luongo Kern? Yes. Um, six in the affirmative, one absent. Um, paper passes. Report of Secretary? Uh, there is none. Motion to receive and place on file. All those in favor? All those opposed? Reports of committees. Committee of the Whole, goals for the budget process 2320. So 
Would you like to give a report? No, I do the curriculum one. You do, okay. On um, February 3rd, 2020 at 5.42 p.m., um, we all met as a committee along with um, Superintendent Diane Caldwell, John McLaughlin, Patrick Gordon, Lisa Evangelista, and Emily Lazaro. Um, we discussed the budget process. We asked questions as it relates to the budget. Um, just to get ready for our budget um, season, which started tonight at 5.30. Before every school committee meeting, um, we will meet in Committee of the Whole. It will be televised. And we will meet at 5.30 to go through an, every department so that we can hopefully have the budget hearing presentation on June 15, 2020. Today we reviewed guidance, English language arts, social studies, mathematics, science, world languages. Our next meeting is March 9, 2020, and we will go through um, the elementary school's um, budget of $9,751,017. Member Russo. Yes. Um, is this um, within the minutes of that meeting? The uh, are we talking about the? I'm sorry. The committee, of the whole we had on February third. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> on page six, uh, there's a mention that we have a there's pothole funding. I just hate that it's called pothole funding because it's not for potholes. Um, coming in from the for charter reimbursements, and I was just curious if the city had received that funding already or not. It doesn't really come to us in the schools, but. Um, <clears throat> It's on the third paragraph of page six. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure personally if, if we've received it yet, but I will look okay. into that. Thank you. That's all. Motion to approve. A motion to approve by Member Rousseau, seconded by Member Kretz. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Um, paper passes. Mayor Brooke, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Just one of those it's okay. Mayor <laughs> Committee of the whole meeting goals for the oh we did that one so, so, curriculum subcommittee enhanced core <laughs> reading instruction ECRI and planning for future meetings two five twenty. Do we want to uh, suspend before we go on to this order of business? Do we want to suspend the rules and, um, and continue well, you our, like to our meetings for right? Just because this is going to take some time to read it all. Sure. Okay, so I'd like to make a motion to suspend the rules so we can uh, pick up the two um, departments that were not heard yet from our pre-budget meeting. Second. Yes. Motion um, to suspend the rules by Member Vanticlude, seconded by Member McLaughlin. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? Um, when we were in our committee, the whole meeting this evening, we got through almost all the budget outlines. We have two remaining that we need to finish up. So we will call up our director of science. I'm not sure if it's okay, it is on. It's on. Good evening, um, and um, I just wanted to take a moment to say hello. Uh, it's a new school committee member, uh, school committee lineup for me, and uh, see some new members and some people that I've met before. Congratulations, and um, it's a pretty exciting time because it's my first time in, in front of you all. 
Um, the science budget for the upcoming school year includes um, some payments for the FOSS program, which is um, 69750 of the total $180,000 that we're proposing. Um, that is the second payment, and it's 25% of the program, and it will go on for the next school year as well. Um, it has really, I think, been a big change for the elementary schools, the K-5 program, and also uh, a welcome change by many of the teachers. Uh, we see them really in working with the, with the materials that are part of the program, um, and the students are really engaged essentially 100% of the time in any class that, uh, that I walk in. One in particular, earlier in the year, I went into uh, Roberts Elementary classroom, and um, this particular classroom has newcomers come in, and there was a student there that um, had only been in class for three days or two days, and um, the student was, had a notebook, um, was prepared um, with all the materials, was illustrating because, again, it's a newcomer class uh, in the fourth grade, and it was an incredible sort of like experience for the child. Um, so, and, and it's, you know, and, and it can, it has what we call a low bar, but a really high ceiling for kids to be able to explore science. So it's, it's a great program. And I was so excited to see that particular student really be able to um, get into the, the, uh, the, the curriculum. And that's, you know, replicated class after class after class. No matter where you go, it's always the same. So we're going to continue um, supporting teachers uh, with that program. They will need to continue to purchase some smaller items that are listed there. Um, we have to replace vinegar and plaster of Paris and paper products, sand and dirt, and also um, make sure that the living samples that will, um, that will be needed for next year uh, are covered. So uh, that's uh, 12400 which gives us about $100 per grade level per school um, in addition, and then the, the rest would be for, uh, for classroom, uh, for um, the living, living materials. That cost could come down, it just depends on what the cost of living materials are at the given time that we have to purchase them. Um, at the middle level, we're really uh, looking currently at uh, a new program. Um, we anticipate being able to uh, propose some program. We're looking at two specifically right now. We finished up a pilot of a program called iQuist, um, which is part of Activate Learning. It's similar to um, the FOSS program, but it is, um, it's a more robust and deep project that's related to the, to the new frameworks. Um, and then the next one uh, began, it probably is beginning this week or, the, or started the week before uh, February break, just, just in terms of training time and the, and the materials arrival at middle schools. And that one is called um, STEM Scopes. Um, all the teachers have the material, not all of the teachers, I shouldn't say, pilot teachers have those materials and they're piloting those two programs at the moment. So we'll be able to give you some more information about which one might be a better fit for Medford at that time. Um, I'm really uh, just giving you an estimated cost of 45000 right now. As a placeholder, I'm not sure what the cost will be 
annually for that program at this moment. At the moment, it depends on which one we go with. Um, and also at the high school level, uh, we are having a curricular change which will help us get more electives for students in grades 11 and 12. In order to do that and keep all of the um, DESE requirements and the, and the MCAS uh, in mind, we're stepping away from introductory physics, moving in biology as a ninth grade course, moving in chemistry as a 10th grade course, and then they could take electives 11th and 12th grade. Um, in order to do that, um, it would make a lot of sense to purchase new um, biology texts to cover that, and there's a placeholder for uh, $45,000 in the textbook line for that. Um, it could come down, again, we're gonna look at different um, texts, but we're really looking at texts in that case. Um, with an online component, um, not, not a program. Uh, the curriculum itself is really robust. The teachers work extremely hard in creating um, units of instruction that are coherent and connected to the frameworks. This is really some, a resource to use so that students can find some of the uh, biology content in that area. Um, there's also $7,500 allocated to make sure that classroom supplies and consumables are present for the department, um, which is about where we are annually for the, for the high school. Uh, that includes you know, all of the chemicals that we might need in a particular year and also uh, their, their um, classroom supplies uh, that they would need for the, for the high school, nine through 12. Um, we also ask for $500 for the office, and that includes office supplies, folders, binders, things of that nature for the, for the office. Um, all in all, I think we're making some forward motion in two key areas, at the middle school and at the high school, which were really needed. And um, I think it's gonna open up a lot of things in the future uh, for, the, for the kids. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Thank you very much for this report, very helpful. Nice to meet you. Um, I am wondering about, um, I loved how you t described the uh, low bar but high ceiling for the science curriculum, and I, and I know that science is really um, often uh, a core topic that is available to all of our learners, especially with the project-based learning, hands-on experiential. Um, uh, material. I'm wondering if there are supplemental aspects to the curriculum for uh, both our EL and our um, children with special education needs, so our access programs, our language-based classrooms. So some of the materials, when FOSS was designed by the um, University of California, Berkeley, they took into consideration a lot of the pieces that, um, that are very tactile. So all of the materials that are there, uh, they really took into consideration students with disabilities and, and um, that had maybe uh, challenges to picking up certain, certain types of uh, tools and also uh, visually impaired students. So some of the devices actually have, um, like you can feel where the, the quantities are rather than just see it visually mm -hmm. and students would be able to, uh, to access the materials. Mm -hmm. So um, we've deployed enough materials to cover um, every grade level and every classroom at every school uh, for three years 
and that includes both the permanent and the consumable materials. Um, it was an enormous uh, purchase, and it, we can also add in things to that. It also provides online components that are not uh, subscription-based. It's all included in the price that we paid. And we also got um, the living animals. Living animals are a little bit of a challenge in some classrooms versus others, but there will be enough around that we can definitely um, make some, uh, some attempts at seeing what would be possible in different environments. The, the FOSS um, group is really helpful in giving us some guidance on that as well. So as we train teachers and talk about those different areas, we'll be able to increase our uh, sort of like our reach into those classrooms. So thank you. Thanks for considering that. I appreciate it. And for the home based, um, uh, I mean, for the technology access, is there home access also for? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so there's home access by student and there's, uh, we haven't like activated it necessarily, um, but it, it's completely accessible by every student in any environment, whether they're at school That's or great. home. Yeah. So, so families watching should know that they have online yes. access to the science curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Very helpful. Thank you. Member Kretz. Thank you very much for the report, Mrs. Siri. Um, I just had a question about one of the wish list items. Yes. And it was, um, there was zero costs associated with it, the high school engineering course. Yes. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could go over that a little bit. Sure. So currently we have a robotics and engineering program at the yeah. high school, uh, at the vocational side of the, uh, of the house. Um, they're building a new space, and it will allow us to sort of allow electives to be part of the mix for students at the high school, but also give credit to students that are in the vocational program to be able to uh, use that. So it's a no cost item. It's basically, we give permission to say this is possible, and we start to find ways of enrolling students into the program. Right now, we think we have enough um, uh, staffing to be able to support a section of, of, of this kind of thing. If, if the need rises and we, have, and we need more staffing, we'll start c considering it as we roll out the, the, new, um, the new curriculum. So mm -hmm. we think we're good. We, we don't need any extra. Uh, it's a free item I thought you should know, and it's yeah. just a quick change that can be made um, for kids. So. I think it sounds fantastic, yeah. I mean, just, I've seen the new space, and um, it's, it's beautiful. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's really big. And um, there's so much to learn, and, um, and I'm sure Mr. Christie would love to have the students in his classroom, and he loves teaching everybody. And yeah. um, So is this definitely going to happen, like, as an elective? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. so Mr. Christie's been in the mm -hmm. conversation, as Great. has uh, Mr. Yeah. Fallon. So this mm -hmm. isn't an unknown territory at this yep. point. Um, I'm sort of formalizing it for you that you know yeah. um, sort of the direction we're heading with the engineering and uh, what we think would be really helpful uh, as an added piece. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Member Van de Kloot. Uh, Mr. Siri, I just want to um, go back to the issue of the ninth grade biology. Mm -hmm. So of course, as you know, for many, many years, biology was the ninth grade um, subject. And in fact, the um, physics was uh, changed to the ninth grade subject because of um, the fact that uh, the students needed to take a ninth grade science MCAS mm -hmm. and it was thought that the uh, physics was 
more approachable maybe or whatever. Um, anyway, um, I'm glad to see biology coming back. I think it fits well in the ninth grade. I think all, all students should be able to take it then. But I am wondering about the change of thinking about will the students then take the, the um, uh, biology MCAS in ninth grade? Yes. So all students would be taking the ninth grade biology MCAS. Okay. And so will our teachers who were teaching biology um, in an upper grade now come and teach it to ninth graders? Yes. We, and will the physics, um, will there still be that introductory physics or will be no, physics the be physics left? is going to be um, a, a 11th, 12th grade elective. So we're not jettisoning the course itself or the materials or the investment. But we are going to ramp it up so that the mathematics of that course is appropriate to the students at the level. Um, that it, we've seen a lot of different uh, solutions to this. We think this is the one that will work for our students. Mm -hmm. um, earth science was the first course. And we had earth science and then honors biology. We replaced earth science with introductory physics and left biology as an honors course. I thought leaving. Um, and the faculty sort of agrees at this point with the changes in the in the framework that biology is doable completely by ninth graders and that we can uh, we can move forward in the future as we look at chemistry this is an area where we'll have to work really diligently uh, we've we've embraced the chemistry course as a faculty to look at it and try to make it approachable for a tenth grader that's really the that will be our big challenge. Will um, we have any sure earth science course at all offered? Any earth science? Yeah. It can be open to that. So once the elective world is open for us to be able to put in other courses, we can add in things that we think we can uh, support, such as an earth science course. We have environmental science. We have anatomy and physiology. We're uh, sort of double uh, use of engineering. So it's going to open up all those courses and allow more students to access um, and elective this, courses. This, this change will happen uh, in September? Correct. If we September okay 2020. Okay. Correct. Uh, that's with relatively quick, but I uh, imagine that your staff is all on board for this? Yes. Great. They're ready to go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Member Graham. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say um, thank you for the work that you've been doing to pilot FOSS in particular. Um, I had the opportunity to sit in on some of the early conversations when teachers were looking at various curricula and I just really commend the process and the engagement from teachers across the entire district. So I think that that ser has served us well because what I hear come back from my kids um, is real excitement about science and I sort of wish I got to learn science that way because as it stands I'm not allowed to teach science in my home because um, <laughs> I'm unqualified so I might drop in for a science class or two um, and then um, one question that I had on the budget um, was I was surprised to see that the consumables cost was so low frankly like to be so, bringing in living organisms and all kinds of other things that not a lot of money across such a big swath of classrooms. Right. So the, so the costs are based on estimates that were provided by the vendor. And it's certainly within the, the ballpark of what we think it will cost. Um, there are some cost savings that can be done if we, if we deliver in bulk and then 
Um, you know, I put all the animals in my car and take them to the schools. It's actually kind of a fun thing to do. It sounds a little weird, but it's really fun to deliver live crayfish to schools and classrooms. So I'm looking forward to that part, and it does provide a little cost savings. So the arrival of the organisms is something that we will anticipate. It's going to be fun. It's an exciting moment for the kids, and uh, if we coordinate it right, there will be some cost savings if we, if we get them delivered in bulk. So, you know, it sounds like a lot or a little, um, but the, the kit's also included like three years worth of consumables. So at some point we're going to have to like re-up and I'll come back. But yeah. right now we're good. Okay. Um, and then um, the other just point of context for the people in the audience, um, we sort of made reference to a wish list. Um, all of the departments have been asked to identify three to five initiatives that, if funded, would positively impact student achievement. Um, so that's a mouthful, so it's sort of been abbreviated to wish list. Um, and so all of the departments are providing the school committee really for the first time an articulation of what those things are. So um, thank you for doing that, and it's super nice to be able to grant zero dollar wishes. So thank you for that, too. Yes. <laughs> It was the best wish so far. <laughs> but I, I like them all, actually. Okay. I like all of your wishes. But that one's an, that one's an easy one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. We have World Language Department presented by uh, Dr. Bernadette Riccadelli. And that is page 18 on your budget. 18 of 28. Yeah, so I, I'm going to ask um, the lead teacher for the department, oh, Vilma Bebo, to, um, to be up here 19. with me. Um, I will deliver the 19. report, but certainly she's available for, for questions as, as I am. So I'm here to present on the World Language Department, and I have been covering this department now for a year and a half. I was asked to cover um, in this role after the retirement of the of um, Mrs. DiCarlo, who was the, the foreign language director at that time. As you know, we have changed the name of the department to World Language. We think it reflects and embraces um, all that we are here in Medford. So I'll start with staffing. So we have a total of 19 educators in the department. We have three elementary paraprofessionals. We have five middle school teachers. One of, one of those teachers travels back and forth to each of the two middle schools, so there are two and a half at each middle school. We have 11 high school teachers. Uh, two, of, two of those teachers have abbreviated schedules. There are two lead teachers. So uh, Mrs. Bebo is one, so she teaches an abbreviated schedule. She does a lot of, um, she helps me with the department. Uh, and then we also have the lead teacher for the CCSR, even though CCSR is not my department. The teacher that does CCSR is a Spanish teacher in, in the department and associated with, with the CCSR. Uh, we also have one vocational section that is taught, one vocational online Spanish section taught by a math teacher. So I just wanted to be upfront with that. Um, that teacher did have room in her schedule. Uh, that teacher is a native Spanish, um, a native Spanish uh, speaker. So she very graciously offered to teach one of our online sections. 
So I'm going to start with our elementary level because we do have some significant news to report. Uh, so as you know, CASIT, which is, um, which is an organization that supports Italian language uh, in Massachusetts, they're actually based in Wakefield, um, has, has received notice from the Italian government. So it's the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, through the Italian consulate, actually the Italian consulate through the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs that CASIT has lost its funding. And the reason why this is significant is because for the past 20 plus years, CASIT has supported our elementary Italian program by contributing $50,000. Uh, that money has been taken away. So I think it was late, mid to late January when we were informed that that happened. So that is effective immediately. Not only does that affect the elementary Italian program, but also CASIT was funding some of the AP exams that I believe um, Maureen Lavin brought up earlier, the decrease in the number of AP exams, because CASIT was funding. We were actually encouraging junior students in, in Italian to take those AP exams. And they've also, in the past, funded a number of, of contests that have already begun. And with the abrupt ending of the funding, we are trying to reach out to other sources to fund those contests that, that were promised to the students. Uh, so we are, we are disappointed. Uh, again, for 20 plus years, we have taught students in Medford Italian in grades two through five. And um, there are three, I'll call them teachers, but they are paraprofessionals. They've been with us, and actually Vilma started off in Medford as one of the CASIT teachers. She's now one of, uh, obviously, our full-time teachers, but that's where she got her start. I think it, it's a wonderful opportunity for our students. It's just unfortunate that uh, we've lost the, the funding for that. And I'll be happy to, happy to answer questions um, at the end of the report regarding regarding the, that, that issue. At the middle school level, one of the improvements that we made this year is that in grade six, and along with the cooperation um, of the middle school principals, uh, each student in grade six has their language three times a week. Prior to this year, it was twice a week. So we, we do see an improvement in that area. In grade seven and eight, they also have their language three times a week. So all middle school students who take a language meet three times a week. French is not offered in the middle school. That was taken away about, I'm guessing, 14 or 15 years ago with the retirement of, of uh, at least one teacher who taught French in that level. So there are only two options in middle school. At the high school level, students may opt to study French, Italian, or Spanish. We do see that French is at a disadvantage because they're not coming in with the French background. So um, just jumping forward to the, the wish list, I would eventually like to see French be offered as an option on the middle school level to put it on equal ground with the other two languages. Uh, going back to the high school level, um, so it is a requirement on, the, on the, the high school side of the house for students to take two years of a language. Uh, on the vocational side, it is highly encouraged and if, if a student wants to pursue a college route, it is particularly encouraged. It's encouraged for everybody, but colleges do look for that. Because the schedule is prohibitive to offering uh, language to 
grades 10, 11, and 12 students. We do offer an online language program for vocational students. We have had, I think, some, some real successes with that. Uh, the teacher, well, we have two teachers. One is the math teacher I spoke about, and then we have a full-time language teacher who really works wonders with those students. So it's a hybrid. She does meet with them in addition to doing the online work. Uh, Vilma has been really busy with our Seal of Biliteracy program, and in fact, under Rita DiCarlo, when she was doing her practicum, she is the one who approached Rita to bring it to Medford. So we did it, that was the initial year. She worked on it last year, and now Vilma is doing a lot of work on the Seal of Biliteracy this year. And actually, I probably should turn it over because you, you know so much more about the Seal of Biliteracy and all of the steps involved. So did you want to say a couple of words about Sure. What you're doing? So the uh, good evening. Um, the Syllabularity is a, is a wonder, uh, wonderful program. This is the third year uh, that we uh, implement in, in Medford. And uh, the, the beauty of this program is that it's open to any student, to all seniors, um, to see if they're proficient uh, in another language other than, uh, um, other than English. And if they do reach that proficiency by taking this test that we offer, um, the, the students gets in uh, his or her diploma uh, transcript the biliteracy that is he or she is biliterate in another in, uh, in another language other than uh, um, than English. This has been highly successful. Uh, last year we had uh, several uh, students that reached the state seal biliteracy, and um, this year I have 54 um, students taking the seal biliteracy starting this Wednesday, and I have nine students they take in two languages either um, Italian or Chinese or French or Portuguese or Portuguese and Spanish and so on and so forth. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful program. Thank you. Uh, Vilma has also been working on bringing uh, national honor societies in French, uh, Spanish, French and Italian um, to the school this year. So this is our first year of bringing in those national honor societies. And she also has been instrumental in organizing the World Language Festival, which I believe you have, the school committee has been invited to, as has the whole school community, which will take place on March 6th um, of, of this year. So we're, we're very excited about that. Um, jumping forward here to the wish list items, I mentioned the in reintroducing French on the middle school level that would one of, the, one of the difficulties would be um, licensure for a teacher. It's, we can't just bring a teacher who teaches Spanish over to teach French because there is different licensure. We do have one middle school teacher who would be able to teach French, but it certainly wouldn't be enough to address the needs of both schools. So the estimated cost would be a salary level plus materials, an estimate of $75,000. A second idea that we, would, that we have that would be wonderful, which is a much less much less of a cost, about $6,000, but it would be difficult to find a location. We would be looking for a world language lab so that students would be able to practice their communication in an environment that was set up and conducive to, to doing so. It is possible for us to go to a computer lab, but it's, it's, not, it's not set up with the dividers. To do it right, you need it set up in a location and then teachers within the department would be able to, to rotate in. Um, so the initial thought is to start one on the high school level and then eventually uh, bring it down to the middle school level. 
And then the, the, the third idea for a wish list would be, and this really is more long range, we're thinking um, the possibility of introducing new languages. Um, a survey was done a couple of years ago, and in that survey, there appeared to be some support for Portuguese and for Arabic. So we certainly do want to investigate that, but that would not be for next year, but that would be something that we would begin investigating, or take, doing uh, additional surveys on next year. So I think at this point, that's an overview. I think we, we would be happy to take any questions that you have. Thank you very much. Doesn't seem to be any questions, but because you did such a good okay. detailed report for us. You do? Okay, change your mind. You're welcome. Member Van de Kloop. So um, with the, Uh, consulate paying the uh, covering the uh, money for the paraprofessionals um, I think that we need to have a discussion about how we will use that time whether we'll continue uh, as we are or whether there's something else that's needed in the curriculum um, I um, I don't know how much time people have yet uh, from the administrative have, have been able to consider the options and what, what might be needed. Um, I would make a motion to send this topic to the curriculum subcommittee uh, meeting once uh, people are ready to um, address it. Second. Motion for, appro um, for approval by member Vandeklut, seconded by member Rousseau. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? Motion passes. Um, Thank you. Okay, you're Thank welcome. You. Yep, Member Graham. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, at the middle school level, do you have um, any data that tells us what the what demand would look like if there was another another language offering? So. Um, I don't know how the selection process happens today. If, if one language is more popular than the other, if you introduce French, like what, how would that change the dynamics of students and sort of what their preferences are? And I don't know if you have that information or if there's a way you can sort of start to collect it to understand demand. So I, I think we, so right now we have one, we have one staff member. That, that one staff member could possibly travel over to the, the mm -hmm. other middle school. You know, if we, and if we did that, we would have to restrict, restrict it to grade six. Um, I think that's how we would have to start. In terms of demand, what we do, and this is going to happen very soon in early March, is we send, we send a form out to grade five students and, and, their, and their parents and we tell them what the options are. Right now the option, the two options are your, your Spanish and your Italian, and then they respond, and then we, we put them in those classes. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would have to do, I'd have to get that information to figure out how many sections. Is there, is there a demand? We're looking at the feedback that some of the high school teachers have given us that they wish that they had had an opportunity to start French earlier. So we kind of worked backwards mm -hmm. with that. And we're also seeing the French program. It is not as strong as the, as the Spanish and the Italian programs. And we are, we are kind of deducing that it is because of uh, the fact that it's not offered in middle school. So is there an opportunity to do some data collection since this form's gonna go out and families are going mm -hmm. to be responding in real time to understand is there, a, is, would there be a preference there 
um, if it was offered. I mean, obviously we'd have to say it's not offered currently, but we were trying to understand what the demand would be if there was three choices. Um, yeah, so on the form that goes out, we usually, where there were two choices, we ask them to rate one and two. There's no guarantee. We, we really have tried and the principals have tried to honor what the request is. But there's always that caveat that if, if we can't, we're, you know, we'll put you in the other language. So certainly we could put something out if French was an option. You know, what, what's your first choice, what's your second choice, what's your third choice? And if the demand wasn't there, then we would just go to the second choice. Yeah. We could do that. And I guess the other question that I would have is, um, do you have data that you could share with us about um, historical demand? So how often do, does somebody get their first choice? How often does somebody not get their first choice um, and gets placed? Because I, I feel like once you start on a trajectory yep. with language, you're on the, right. you're like in a shoot and you're continuing down that path, it's a little bit harder to change course. So, um, so I'm just curious if we have like the right number of the right things based on what we see the demand is. So, so you're, you're saying last year, so based on last year's requests, how many of those students, um, I, I can get that because we, st we have the request, it would yeah. just be matching it up with where the kids are. There were a number of students that based on their MCAS scores, based on other assessments that were targeted for intervention that Nicole Chiesa talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so for, for additional, additional remediation in English. So with the exception of those students, I would say those who requested a language, almost all of them did get what they wanted. Okay, good. Uh, but I can confirm that. Yeah, that would numbers. be great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Member Russo. Um, the, uh, the sudden loss of funding from CASET, um, do we get an annual check or are we like literally like suddenly we have a hole? I, I believe, and, and perhaps Christine could confirm this because the money doesn't come to me, I believe it's in two installments of 25000 I believe we received the 25000 Did we? It was previously one installment at the end of a fiscal year, but we had received um, 25000 of it this, this year. so that will no longer be coming. It is identified as a revenue source um, to supplement, so that will not be on our revenue options for Thank the upcoming you. year. Okay. Thank you very much. And we'll Welcome. discuss more in, in okay. curriculum subcommittee. Um, I'm not sure where we want to go next. We have some parents. We have some um, administrators here, city hall employees. So. Um, I'll just go in order. Recommendation to approve donation for three speech and language pathologists to attend the National Speech, speech Association Conference. Um, Ms. Joan Bowen. Hi. Good evening. Ms. Elizabeth Gomez would like to donate funds to support the registration costs for up, for up to three of Medford's speech and language therapists to attend a one-day National Stuttering Association event. This event will take place on March 7, 2020, at a cost of $59 per person, resulting in a potential donation of $177. Ms. Gomez is the parent of a child who stutters and is the co-leader of the National Stuttering Association's Boston's Family Chapter. She is also a Medford High School Spanish teacher. 
Attendance at the National Stuttering Association event will provide participating speech and language therapists with an interactive presentation about therapy for school-age children who stutter, including treatment of the motor, social, cognitive, and emotional aspects of the disorder. This generous donation is truly appreciated, and we know that educator participation and professional development can result in an increase in the collective knowledge of the entire team, which results in better outcomes for our students. So I'm here tonight to request that Metford Public Schools accepts this donation. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. I make a motion to accept the donation, but first I also want to thank um, Ms. Gomez for uh, the very uh, generous thought and offer both as a parent and as a teacher in our district that she's doing this is yes. really remarkable. It so is. that's great news. Yep. And um, have you, so how many teachers are going? So there's um, three speech uh, therapists uh, speech, that will yeah. be attending, mm -hmm. yes. Okay, and so are they already identified? Did they Yes, they have, okay. yep. Great, yep. congratulations, that's great. Thank so you. I make a motion to approve? Motion to approve, Member Vanderclute. I second the motion and thank Ms. Gomez as well. This is not the first year she's done it and we appreciate her generosity and support. Absolutely. Great. Motion for approval by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Vanderclute. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed, paper passes. Thank you. Recommendation to approve middle school field trips to New York. Um, oh, we should, yes, we should. Should. Would you like to? Thank you. Uh, roll call vote. Roll call to accept the donation. Member Graham? Yes. Member Kretz? Yes. Member McLaughlin? Yes. Uh, Member Mastone is absent. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Vanderclute? Yes. Mayor Luongo Kern? Yes. All those in favor? Six in favor, one absent. Motion passes. Recommendation to approve middle school field trips to New York. Principal Nick Tucci and Principal Michael Downs. Good evening once again. On behalf of the McGlynn Middle School, I'd like to present our proposal and answer any questions you may have to take the eighth grade students at the McGlynn Middle School uh, to a trip to New York City. The eighth grade trip to New York City has been an annual tradition since our school opened in 2001. The Andrews and McGlynn Middle School held a parent meeting in the fall where the New York City trip was introduced and questions were answered. This year, 56 students have signed up for the trip for the McGlynn Middle School. The cost of the trip is $650 per student with scholarships offered for financially challenged families. Property damage insurance is provided by the company. There will be a school nurse traveling with the group on this trip. The trip is scheduled for the weekend of June 5th through the 7th with buses departing Friday, June 5th at 6 a.m. The itinerary for the trip includes a visit to the Intrepid Sea and Airspace Museum, Times Square, Top of the Rock, the Museum of Natural History, the 9-11 Memorial, a production of Stomp, and a trip to the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Students remaining in school that Friday and not participating in the New York City field trip will participate in enrichment activities that support curriculum and social developments. We will also be looking to offer another trip, like we did last year, for eighth graders who stay back to attend a field trip to Medford High School to swim in the pool. I'd like to acknowledge the work of the McGlynn Middle School teacher and New York City trip advisor, Sabrina Yeager, who was unable to make it for tonight for her hard work and attention to detail on this field trip. Her tireless work ethic this year will pay off in dividends to offer a lifetime experience for our students who enjoy this trip to the Big Apple with their teachers and their peers. At this time, I'll turn it over to Andrews Middle School principal, Michael Downs, who will speak further on the trip on behalf of the Andrews Middle School. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Hello once again. 
So this year, the Andrews uh, has 120 students going. And before I get into more specifics about the trip, I want to uh, give a very public and big thank you to our PTO and some anonymous families who have worked tirelessly, the PTO in particular, to provide scholarships for some of our students in need. And to those families out there that did donate without anybody wanting to know who they were, uh, who are also helping out some of our students in need. And without them, uh, there are some students that wouldn't be able to go. So for that, I'm very grateful. Uh, and I'm very humbled by the, the support that not only the PTO gives us, but some of the families in the community to the students of the Andrews Middle School. Similar to the McGlynn Middle School, uh, this has been a huge part of being an eighth grader since 2001. It's a very exciting time. Uh, our students look forward to it. Our teachers look forward to it. Uh, I have to give another big thank you out to Miss Wendy Fuller. She is my New York City trip advisor this year, and she's worked very hard so far already. And I also have to thank publicly Miss Kathy Johnson, who has helped out a lot as well. Our trip is very similar uh, with our itinerary, but this year there's a couple changes. We are going to go to the top of the rock uh, observatory this year, which is uh, new for our trip. We are also going to the Intrepid Air and Space Museum, uh, the 9-11 Memorial, and of course we are also going to see Stomp. So the two schools, although uh, we are both going to New York City, we will see each other here and there, but we also have our own itinerary, but both the experiences are great for all the students involved. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please let me know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Um, this is always a fun trip, I know, for the students, having had two eighth graders who have gone on the trip. Um, I have a couple of questions, uh, uh, if you can help me with. So um, I also want to thank the teachers, and I know that, and you guys for going on the trip. I know the coordination that's involved for this, and um, I actually went on the trip myself a few years ago, and um, trying to wrangle all those students and you know keep track of everybody and make sure everyone's fed and you get some sleep and all that stuff. We know how hard it is, so thank you for doing this. Um, of the, so it looks like for the Andrews, there's 120 students that are going, and for the McGlynn, there are 56. Um, of how many in your eighth grade class? So maybe, Mr. Downs, if you want to answer first, how many in the? Uh, as of right now, we have 162 eighth grade. 162? Um, eighth graders, yes. Okay. So of 162, 120 are going? That's correct. Okay. And then, how about you, Mr. Tucci? So we, that's our smallest class. We have about 140. 140? So out of 140, 56 students are attending. Okay. So that's a big percentage difference. Um, it obviously was very generous of the PTO to be able to supplement with scholarships. How many scholarships um, were you guys, did you guys give out? So may I, can I ask you, Mr. Um, Downs first, or? So uh, the PTO, uh, we're lucky enough that they give us two full scholarships and two partial scholarships. I've also received uh, a few full scholarships from uh, some members of the community. Uh, and also one family in particular is also gonna help out with some of the expenses for students who are going so that they can have some money to buy things to as they get down there so that they can have a few souvenirs, so. That's really generous, that's great. So very, we're very happy to announce that McGlynn Middle School, we, we raised over $3,500 uh, towards our scholarship fund this year to help offset the cost for a lot of students. In fact, we had a uh, scholarship application process where the students at McGlynn that were interested in applying for a scholarship, they could go ahead and write an essay to a certain prompt. The essay went into teachers and myself. We reviewed them, 
and uh, scholarships went out and we were able to help supplement the cost for a number of different students. You can imagine how much of an impact that over $3,500 went to um, you know, help out families in need. So certainly we were very pleased and happy with uh, that effort this year. We actually had a dance and uh, we raised over $1,000 at just one dance in order to help to fund that trip too. And we had uh, about 150 students attend. So. so how many full or partial scholarships do you know? Or? Um, actually, I, I don't have that offhand, yeah. but I believe I'd guess about a dozen, you know, partial or even uh, more than partial scholarships were, you know, handed up. That's great. Were there students that you're aware of? Are there students that you're aware of that wanted to go on the trip that have not been able to go? Or? Every single student that has wanted to attend. And we have some really good relationships with our students where yeah. they've been able to make that known to us. We've been able to help them off uh, out in any type of way that we were you know, That's able good. to. That's good. That's great. So you know, sometimes that came in the form of a $250 scholarship, other times more. Right. So we're really happy to say that we were able to make sure that this is a trip of reality for the, the students that wanted to attend. That's great. Um, oh, too, sorry. All of our students that uh, needed money to go on the trip were uh, given money for ours as well. So. That's great. Yes. Thank you. Very generous of the community and of you all. Um, uh, and then, uh, so the um, literature that was handed out as well that talks about the conditions of being able to attend the trip, which are both academic and behavior. Um, and there's a behavior contract um, that you talked about with info and registration packet. We don't, I, we don't have a copy of that contract. I'm just curious about that, if you could send that to us so that we can would you mind sending it so that we can see and just um, uh, and what if the behavior what if there's behavior that's a manifestation of disability um, for a student that you know wants to go on the trip to New York City are there supports through the special education department I know the director of people services is here um, but also for families that are listening if there are um, supports that are needed to be able to attend field trips for students with disabilities and the manifestation of their disability absolutely How we want to make the, sure this trip is a very inclusive type of trip right. that is going to be inclusive for all of our students right. and we would work very closely with um, the student, their families, the special education departments in order to make sure that we're as inclusive as we can with all of our students. Yes, I see that you have a nurse going, which is really good to hear on the trip for the students that need it, so that's great. Is there anything on the registration form or on the, um, or on the behavior contract that makes any note of if you have a disability or need accommodations, um, a process or procedure for letting folks know? And if not, maybe I need to if make If not, we could perhaps take a look at uh, yeah. adding some language towards that. Um, I don't know off the top of my hands. I'd, I'd rather not speak to that yeah. without having that right in front of me. But at the same point in time, uh, we, we certainly do want to make sure that we are right. reaching out to families to make sure. it really a be very accommodating and very inclusive to all those types of students. Right, and, and making sure that the families know, obviously, so that they can you know, be able to prepare in advance to, you know, because I know... For some parents, it's hard to be able to let your child go, right, to go on these trips. But if you feel like there's support there, then it makes all the difference. Um, so I, I'd like to make a motion then that the, um, that the field trip materials have a line item uh, for individuals with disabilities letting folks know um, that if they need accommodations, that, they, you know, that there's an avenue to pursue to let, let folks know what those accommodations are. So. I make a motion to include uh, materials on the field trip, uh, any, you know, this particular field trip, but obviously, you know, we'll move forward in future field trips, that if uh, families need accommodations for students with disabilities that um, they just need, let us know. Certainly. Thank you. Member Kretz. 
Oh, yes. Oh, thank you very much for the reports. Um, and I just want to, you know, say I did notice that you're going to the Intrepid Sea Air Space Museum. That's, I Googled it and it looks really exciting. There's so much for the students, so much information for, to be gained. It sounds like a great stop. Um, it has a really high rating and it looks really fun. Um, so I wanted to know if there was any difference between, um, you know, where we did have the middle school lottery, was there a difference in the numbers from last year to this year with the McGlynn and the Andrews, or did the numbers kind of stay the same with the number of students going? Um, was there any noticeable difference? We took, I yeah. believe, about 60 students last year mm -hmm. at the McGlynn, so we have about 56 this year, so okay. a about slight you know, dip, yeah. but we also had less students this year in our eighth grade class, so I okay. think the percentage is right around the same as last year at the McGlynn. Last year we had 135 students go. Okay. And this may be a shocker to you, but that is my favorite part of the trip, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and let's see, I just want to see if you had one more. Oh, I just, I also wanted to know, um, is there any communication, like I know that the students, um, they, you know, they're not allowed to make phone calls home or like, or tweet or anything like that, or is there a way where parents can follow um, or pictures are seen like on Twitter? Does any of that happen while they're on the trip where the teachers might post it or the field trip advisor? Both schools are going to be using the Remind app. In okay. order to communicate information back home to families. Great. And in addition, we'll be using the McGill Middle School Twitter account and uh, the Blackboard mobile application you know, app mm -hmm. will be up and running too as well for our families to be able mm -hmm. to communicate out information to them too. Okay. So That's it should great. be a great uh, opportunity to show them great pictures and yep. all the sites and all the fun that we're going to be having on the trip. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. I hope you enjoy. Sorry. Thank, you. Thank you. Member Van de Kloot. Yes. Um, my questions um, Mr. Tucci, you noted that the kids, you were thinking of a trip to the Medford High School swimming pool. Um, and um, is that the same thought for the Andrews students? So our eighth grade teachers uh, make a point to make the day as enjoyable as possible for our students. And I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do yet this year. But each year they do activities and make it as fun of a day as possible for those students who are not going on the trip. Yeah. I understand that uh, for many students, uh, maybe going to the high school pool is great, but not all students know how to swim. Um, and part of me says going to New York City for the weekend versus going to the pool. Um, I think that you know students used to go into Boston or have something um, outside of Medford. Um, so I'm just sort of curious about that choice. We could certainly explore different opportunities in order to try to engage the students that aren't attending. I'd be open to, you know, different ideas. Last year I worked with Rachel Perry and uh, they were able to give a really cool did the opportunity. Kids, did the, the kids like to, it? They loved it. They, they loved got a it. chance to um, eat in the high school cafeteria in Cafeteria okay. 1. Mrs. Trainer, the assistant principal for grade 9, came and spoke to the students briefly. I believe Mr. DeLaver did too as well to the students that were able to attend and uh, welcomed them into the high school and it was almost like a little extra transition opportunity and they had. For kids who either didn't know how to swim or was there a swimming assessment, how did, how did we handle that? You know, I, I was on the New York City trip uh, at the time, but I, okay. I believe what the case was is that they, they, uh, they assessed the students at the very beginning, and then they kind of differentiating the swimming opportunities for students yeah. based upon their swimming uh, capabilities. Right. I, I, um, I mean, I absolutely can understand that it would be great, and if it is great, I wouldn't want to change it, but um, I certainly feel like I need to ask about it um, because it is, um, you know, it's just not as great as going to New York City. 
no matter how much we might love the pool. Um, okay, thank you. Um, a motion by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Van de Kloot, that the field trip form be updated to have language about disability accommodations that people may need. All those in favor? All those? Roll call has been requested. So on that motion, Member Graham? Yes. Member Kretz? Yes. Member McLaughlin? Yes. Member Mastone is absent. Member Rousseau? Member Vanderkloot, yes. Uh, Mayor Luongo Kern? Yes. Five in the affirmative, one absent, one abstaining. Paper passes. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening, everyone. Oh, Mr. Tucci, if you could stay. Recommendation to approve environmental camp field trip by Principal Nick Tucci. On behalf of the McGlynn Middle School, I'd like to present our proposal and answer any questions you may have to take our seventh grade students to the McGlynn Middle School on a trip to the Alton Jones Environmental Overnight Field Trip. With 2,300 acres of lakes, forests, and farmland, the W. Alton Jones campus offers an immense outdoor classroom that's perfect for learning, exploration, adventure, and fun. At W. Alton Jones, students gain an understanding and appreciation of the natural world while <clears throat> learning about themselves and working collaboratively with others. Their fun-filled activities-based programs are designed with the students in mind. This trip will get students excited about learning while enriching their classroom work with hands-on first-person experiences. The seventh grade trip to this environmental camp has been an annual tradition for many years. This year, we anticipate, based upon surveying teachers in previous year's data, that approximately 80 students will attend the trip. The cost of the trip will be $220 per student with scholarships offered for financially challenged families. The nurse will also be attending the trip from the Medford Public Schools. The trip is scheduled from Monday, May 4th to Tuesday, May 5th. I'd like to acknowledge the work of McGlynn Middle School teachers and environmental trip organizers, Patty Haas and Angela Bellini for their hard work and attention to detail for the field trip. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Member McLaughlin. Looks like another great trip. <laughs> um, same point, just um, if you could uh, include on the forms um, that if there's any requirements for any accommodations for students with disabilities, that would be appreciated. And um, Absolutely. again, the same with the behavior. That um, it's, uh, it's unclear to me, and maybe it's a longer conversation um, with um, superintendent. Um, oh, the behavior agreement is included on this one. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, so maybe it's a longer conversation with um, Superintendent Edward Vincent about how um, it's addressed if there's, if there's behavior that are manifestations of a student's disability. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we can talk more yes. uh, about that, but have some language that would be helpful for people that need accommodations. Sounds Thank you so much. You're welcome. Enjoy. Member Van de Kloot. If the trip needs to be canceled um, at the last minute for any reason, uh, what is the policy regarding a refund? Um, I believe uh, in the past we've worked with this, you know, this is through the University of Rhode Island. University of Rhode Island um, has been um, very nice in working with us, accommodating with us. We've had a great relationship and I can confirm with them what their policy is, but I would, we don't pay until the very last moments on this trip. Okay. Um, so it is a situation where because it is paid, I believe just about a week or so before, that we certainly can um, recoup the money. And you know. um, while I'm at it, for the New York trip, if there was a cancellation, is there a insurance to cover that? There is not. There's not. I, I, um, I thought we required that there would be. 
I believe there is a situation where it, it's a substantial amount more um, for the trip that causes the trip to go up in a significant type of fashion if we were to add travel insurance along those lines. You are talking to the person whose child was in the grade when the trip was canceled um, and they stayed at the Medford Hotel rather than being able to go to New York City. So a uh, little concerned about that. Okay. Um, could you just check into it and maybe we'll talk, clarify? I certainly can. Okay, thank you. Member Graham. Does the Andrew seventh grade class go on the same field trip or is it just a McGlynn trip? This has been a McGlynn trip for, for many years. Um, would be happy to you know, potentially you know, allow them the, the opportunity to, to look into this possibility in the future and would be very happy to collaborate with them in, in the future on a, a trip along these lines. Um, it's, it's been a, a wonderful tradition at the McGlynn Middle School for many years and our students come back really enthused and having the opportunity to go experience a, uh, an opportunity to learn a lot about science and the natural environment. So um, they come back enthused and ready to learn for the next few months of the school year, especially in their science classes. Yeah, I am a huge advocate of field trips and the experiences that um, they afford our students, some of whom may not have similar experiences, um, just sort of in their, their, general, their general path as they kind of travel through seventh grade as an individual or eighth grade or any other grade for that matter. So um, definitely exploring, particularly now that we've moved to full lottery and we're embracing that model where we're saying our middle school experiences are really the same. I think it would be um, really great for us to think about these kinds of experiences as places where we want to be able to offer similar experiences between the two schools. I'll be happy to work with Mr. Downs and um, you know, the Engine Middle School in order to show them the different connections we have to, to bring uh, this type of learning environment to the Engine Middle School students as well. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank, yes, you. thank you. Thank you. Member Rousseau. Um, <clears throat> Uh, thank you for the uh, report. Um, I'm just noticing now that both of these field trips are not using our field trip form. We worked very, we worked a lot on, and in fact, were used last year for this field trip. Um, we have a, an approved um, format um, with a set of questions that must be answered for us to approve these. Um, and I don't know whether or not all the questions are answered, but I know for a fact that you guys actually used those forms last year. <clears throat> so uh, it's only been less than a year, so we should dust off those forms and use those. Because uh, they had a very specific set of questions with the signatures and when they had to happen by nursing, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly fine with approving this with the caveat that if all the questions that were on that form are not answered, then the approval doesn't seem valid. Um, so I don't, I don't know where the form is. I'm sure it's in the Google Drive. Hell, <laughs> that is Google. Um, but those should be completed, I think, and sent to us, even just as informational. If there's a form that's missing, I'll, I'll be happy to you know, send it your way okay. and uh, make sure that that gets to your information, to your attention. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Do we have a motion? Motion for approval. All those in favor? Roll call. Member McLaughlin. Roll call. Yes. Um, six in the affirmative, one absent, paper passes.
Um, thank you, everybody, for your patience. Number seven, report on middle school participation in Greater Boston League sports. Um, Mr. Robert Maloney. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Members of the school committee. Uh, this is the first year of the Greater Boston League Middle School Sports Program. It's, it's been incredible. We started off in an exciting fall with baseball, softball, and cross country. The winter season just concluded with uh, girls and boys basketball. Uh, our boys basketball program uh, won the league. The girls lost in the finals. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start registration for the spring outdoor track, which will take place at Hormel Stadium. Uh, the principals have been fantastic at the middle schools. Uh, we've been fortunate to hire some teachers at the middle school complex, which has helped out immensely. And we're looking to hire another uh, somebody from the complex to do out, outdoor track. Uh, Rachel Perry and myself will be down the middle schools next week. Uh, we have some holes in the schedule at the pool uh, in the spring. So with uh, summer coming and water safety, we're going to see if we can get any interest of getting some 8th uh, and 7th and 8th graders up to do some water safety at the pool. I'd uh, be happy to take any questions. We're on budget, so Christine will be happy. Uh, she's the money lady. Uh, but I'll be happy to take any questions. Member Kretz. Thank you for the report, Mr. Maloney. I just had a question um, on the bus transportation. Yeah. Um, the, the fees were, were pretty consistent um, for the different sports. Um, for, the, for the cross country, Middle school, the bus transportation was a little bit more. It was 2,640, and I wasn't sure um, why that was, or is it is that the combined number for both schools? Um, wasn't uh, sure we, why that was different. We had we had uh, mm. we had like 53 cross country kids, mm -hmm. uh, so they only had one home meet. This okay. year they went away four times. Next um. year they'll be home four times. The, uh, the baseball and softball, they traveled together, so uh, mm -hmm. we just split the, we just split the uh, transportation bill in half. Okay. And basketball in the winter, they traveled together, so it keeps the transportation cost mm -hmm. down. Great, thank you. If I may, from the chair, for the spring, is it just cr um, tr track? Is there any other sport? Just outdoor track. For boys and girls to combine. Right, and okay. hopefully we can build on it. And we've already got requests for girls volleyball and swimming. So we'll keep you guys updated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Report on literacy screenings, intervention update. Ms. Diane Caldwell, Dr. Nicole Chiesa. Ms. Kathleen Champoli and Ms. Suzanne Campbell. And I know we have some parents who have waited patiently. Thank you. So good evening. Um, at Mayor Blungo Kern's request, this report provides an update on developments in Medford's early literacy screening intervention procedures since last June. As indicated below in your report, the district has made numerous improvements in our screen to interview procedures, including the increased use of early literacy screeners, data analysis, targeted intervention, and professional development. Prior to and throughout the school year 2019-20, myself, um, supervisor of speech, language, and hearing services, Susanna Campbell, Director of Humanities, Nicole Chiesa, 
and coordinator of special education, Katie Champoli, have met at least twice a month to plan and lead this process. In addition, elementary school principals, classroom teachers, Title I educators, English language learner teachers, and special educators have worked with our K-2 teachers and students to make these changes possible. We would like to acknowledge and thank the educators who have piloted our screening intervention tools this year. Ongoing feedback is essential in reflecting upon the success of these tools as we make decisions and await DESE's dyslexia screening guidelines. Please note that the DESE pilots are currently underway and may or may not be, uh, may not meet DESE's upcoming guidelines. So we may have to wait longer than we thought. So with me this evening is what I refer to as my dream team up here who meet twice a week in my office to discuss protocols and professional development and where we're going next. Um, as they'll fill you in as we go along, we are currently on our second screening and we have one more week to go. I think we're in our final week for the screening for both Lexia Rapid and MAPS growth. So at this time, I'd like to ask Nicole Chiesa if she would talk a little bit about the dyslexia historical background. Nicole? Good evening. I'm going to provide a little background on the law and um, the work that we have done, as well as the um, directives from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. So just as a reminder, on October 19, 2018, Chapter 272 of the Acts of 2018 was approved by Massachusetts legislation. legislation. This law requires that the Department of Education, in, um, in consultation with EEC, issue guidelines to assist districts in developing screening procedures or protocols that demonstrate one or more potential indicators of a neurological learning disability including but not limited to dyslexia. School districts continue to await DESE's provision of specific guidelines for the screeners and protocols. DESE has recently engaged Pivot Learning to help develop and finalize the guidelines for school districts and early education providers on dyslexia and other learning disabilities, including recommendations for screening and intervention. It is expected that PIVOT's guidelines will be presented to DESE in fall 2020 for DESE's further review. In anticipation of these specific guidelines from DESE, Medford Public Schools has taken numerous proactive steps since the bill's inception. As noted above, this report will focus on the work conducted since June 2019, including piloting two early literacy screeners, namely Lexia Rapid and NWEA MAP, as well as some additional interventions and um, very much comprehensive professional development that we have been engaged in. <clears throat> the next portion of this report will talk about professional development related to early literacy. Throughout this school year, we have spent a significant amount of resources and time devoted to early literacy professional development. The professional development has occurred through newly formed partnerships with Hill for Literacy, which is a literary organization focused on the science of reading. Professional development has also centered on outside conferences 
as well as graduate courses sponsored by the Department of Secondary and excuse me, the Department of Secondary and Elementary Education, specific to identifying and supporting early literacy deficits. In addition to this, we are also piloting screeners, and with the screeners come multiple professional development opportunities, um, including not just overviews of the screeners and how to administer, but also significant professional development, how to analyze the data, and what steps to take next once the data has been analyzed. This has been provided to our kindergarten, first, and second grade general education teachers, as well as specialists and our building and district administrators. There is a list in your report that outlines the different professional development opportunities. I'm just going to very quickly um, provide an outline. In fall, winter 2019 and winter 2020, spring 2020, we have um, what is called a reading intervention workshop series. This is provided by Hill for Literacy as well as internal reading specialists. It's a three-part series that's offered twice throughout the school year. It is an optional professional development opportunity for our elementary teachers. Specific workshops include implementing, implementing phonemic awareness strategies in the classroom, implementing phonics and fluency strategies in the classroom, and implementing vocabulary and comprehension strategies in the classroom. So that's going on throughout this school year. In addition to that, we have professional development related to our WIN, What I Need, curriculum committee, which came together again, reconvened, to look at PD opportunities from the previous school year and to reevaluate the assessments, review the data, and explore interventions and communications with staff. In October, we had our NWEA MAP growth training and we had our Lexia Rapid implementation rollout at the schools. Um, the Columbus is piloting NWEA MAP, and Lexia Rapid is being um, piloted at the McGlynn through the grant through DESE, and then as a separate pilot, not through DESE, at the Roberts and the Columbus. There was a um, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education sponsored graduate credit course called Dyslexia, Dysgraphia, and Dyscalcula, and that was um, attended by various staff members within Medford Public Schools. That same month, we had members of our staff and our administration attend the Dyslexia Foundation Conference, which was held at Harvard University. In addition to that, in November of 2019, we introduced what's called Lexia Core 5. Um, you've heard about that um, a few times during some of the pre-budget presentations as well. This is a web-based literacy intervention enrichment tool um, that was introduced to our K-3 staff as well as our specialists within the elementary schools. This is optional for the teachers to attend in person and there was also an online optional training. Teachers are really enjoying um, this program, the ones that are participating. In March, we are going to devote half of our professional development day to our enhanced core reading instruction, which will be led by Hill for Literacy. And throughout the school year, we will continue with additional trainings devoted to our enhanced core reading instruction for full implementation of next school year. And then in March, we also will have additional training on data analysis, taking the second round of testing for Lexia Rapid and NWEA MAP looking at growth, looking at literacy, literacy deficits, looking at literacy strengths for our students. And this training is provided 
by Alexia Learning as well as NWEA. I'm now going to um, move on, this on to Ms. Champoli, who will talk about the screenings. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So I'm just going to give you a little um, timeline of the implementation of the screenings that we've done. So throughout this school year, 1920, a variety of early literacy screeners were utilized in an effort to best support our students in identifying specific literacy needs. Two new screening tools were piloted through DESE's Early Literacy Screening Grant in anticipation of the dyslexia screening guidelines that, Des that DESE is tasked with creating, and as part of Medford's dedication to MTSSE. This is the timeline of events associated with implementation. In June 2019, Medford applied for the Early Literacy Screening Grant, and in August, DESE awards Medford with the Early Literacy Screening Grant for the NWA NWEA MAP growth for use at the Columbus Elementary School. Shortly thereafter, we found out that there were other opportunities available through the same grant and applied again, and we were awarded the grant for Alexia Rapid for use at McGlynn Elementary School. Um, in speaking with representatives for Alexia, um, Ms. Campbell worked her magic and was able to get Alexia uh, use for our other schools as well. And uh, Lexia Rapid was also used at the, at the Roberts and the Brooks. So that happened in, two, in September of 2019. In October of 2019, um, the Rapid Automatic Naming Screener was finalized. That was a supplement to these other pilots because these pilots did not include an assessment of Rapid Automatic Naming. In September through November of 2019, um, there was baseline screening for our K-2 students using our pilot, our pilot tools. In October of 2019, WIN assessments, which were already in place before our pilots, WIN assessments, including the baseline and progress monitoring, were administered throughout the school year, beginning in, in October of 2019. Uh, upcoming for the remainder of this year, we'll be doing our second and third rounds of screening, second, which, is, um, which is to be complete by the end of this month. And that's for all of our K-2 students. We'll do a third round in May. We'll also be continuing with WIN assessments for progress monitoring in February, April, and May of 2020. The next portion talks about uh, the training for data analysis. So as has been previously mentioned in this report, administrators and educators have received specific training related to analysis of the data that we've gathered from uh, from MAP and from Lexia Rapid. After the screenings, the district began analyzing this initial data through multiple lenses, looking at individual data, class data, and district-wide performance. The timeline below um, explains a little bit about what we've done so far. Uh, the first two bullets actually say November of 2019, but that training happened in October. Um, we talked about, we, we, we came before the school committee earlier this school year and talked about a little bit about this. And so in October of 2019, a representative from NWEA came out to the Columbus and spoke um, with administrators and with educators about um, looking at the data, making meaning of the data, and talking about how they can begin to use that data to guide their instruction. That also took place uh, through Lexia at the McGlynn, Brooks, and Roberts in November of 2019. In January of 2020, the results of the rapid automatic naming screeners were analyzed by district administrators 
to determine which students demonstrated scores below their peer group district-wide. Students who showed weaknesses in this area are at risk for difficulty with reading fluency and automaticity, which is why we wanted to supplement those pilots that didn't include that particular area. In January of 2020, um, we also had Lexia Core 5 data coaching seminar. That actually started, that was the optional PD, and that started, I believe it was in November. And so we've met a couple times since then with teachers who have wanted this optional PD to learn more about Lexia Core 5. But its, it's use is not limited to those who wanted to participate in the optional PD. Um, it's available to K-2 teachers and I think even some, some third, grade three teachers because yeah. I know I have a third grader who's using it. Um, in, throughout the fall and the winter of 2019, data analysis for K-3 students using Lexia Core 5, the, which is the web-based literacy intervention and enrichment tool that Ms. Campbell was also able to, to, to secure from Lexia, and they, they were very generous in giving us licenses for this school year. And as um, Dr. Chiesa has noted, has been a big hit with the teachers who have put it to use. And I have kids of my own who are using it and enjoy using it at home independently. In March 2020, um, the NWEA map data analysis based on the February screening will take place. So next week, I believe it is, they're coming to the Columbus to talk to administrators and teachers again about the data analysis from that second screening. Also in March of 2020, Lexia will come out and do similar data analysis with the schools participating in RAPID. Um, then just this bottom bullet here is just reminding that we have been doing the data analysis of WINS since the beginning of the school year as well with gen ed teachers, specialists, and administrators. And now I will turn it over to Susanna for um, an, a summary of the intervention. Good evening, everybody. So I will talk a little bit about the intervention. Once we had the data, we needed to know what do we do now with this information that we have gathered. So throughout school year 2019-2020, educators have been provided with numerous resources to use when addressing students' early literacy needs. Equipped with sound professional development and additional, I'm sorry, initial early literacy screening results, and additional intervention resources, the following was embedded within student classroom instruction. In November 2019, educators were instructed on how to use the tools that were embedded in the NWEA MAP growth screening measure to determine what interventions are needed for their particular students. In November 2019, educators were also instructed on how to use the tools embedded in Lexia Rapid to develop intervention. So those teachers at the Columbus who were using NWEA MAP were taught how do we access the tools that we need, and the students, the teachers who were working with students at the other three schools were given instruction on how to use the Lexia Rapid um, tools. In November 19, Lexia Core 5, the web-based um, literacy intervention enrichment tool that we've discussed was introduced to K-3 staff, and this was done through an in-person optional training and we also made it available as an online optional training. So for teachers who were not able to come after school hours, they could also take this training at home or during their prep periods. 
In February of 2020, teachers were provided with materials and intervention strategies to use with students who demonstrated a need for additional practice in automaticity and fluency. So these were for the students who we determined were at risk for difficulty with these skills because of their scores on the RAN measure, the Rapid Automatic Naming. The materials that were, were provided to teachers, and these included specific classroom ideas, so things they could do with their entire class, scripted lessons they could use one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, carryover, coloring, and writing activities that they could use after students had demonstrated some success, and flashcards. The provided materials targeted key skills in developmental order, so starting with automaticity for letter names, letter sound correspondence, sight words, regular words, and passage fluency. In February 2020, ECRI was endorsed by our curriculum subcommittee. Thank you, Ms. Van Der Kloot. And upcoming in March 2020, ECRI professional development will begin for K-2 teachers. Upcoming in school year 2021, ECRI implementation and coaching will be taking place. We've also been working to communicate with stakeholders. Throughout this school year, we have worked with multiple levels of communication with various stakeholders related to early literacy. And as our work continues, we want to continue to expand this communication. Current communications include, but are not limited to, the following. In September and October, reports were made to the school committee by this group. In fall of 2019, we attended the SIL Literacy Conference. SIL is a piece of hill, hill for literacy, that we've discussed. They did a project in Somerville, and some of the Medford teachers participated in that, so we went to go listen and see what they had accomplished there in Somerville. In fall 2019, um, Nicole uh, was able to establish a working relationship with Hill for Literacy and Crafting Minds. Conversations and work with both groups continue throughout the school year. In fall 2019 to spring 2020, multiple communications with teachers and administrators have been taking place regarding both screening <clears throat> pilots. Currently, we have multiple communications going on with teachers on the WIND assessment, and this is being analyzed by our Director of Humanities, Nicole Chiesa. In November 2019, during report card conferences, grade one and two teachers reported students' results on the NWEA map growth and LexiRapid, depending on the assessment that was given to the students. In January 2020, Kristen Howell, she's a Title I teacher at the Columbus Elementary School, and I were selected to be part of the Literacy Champions Committee. And if I may, just give a little shout out to somebody who's here that's running that group for us. Catherine Tarka is here. She's a director of literacy for DESE, and she is running that group. This committee will advise DESE on a statewide early literacy initiative that kicks off in 2020. In January 2020, I was selected to be a contributor to the development of the Massachusetts Dyslexia Guidelines. So this is something that's being um, conducted with Pivot Learning, and they collected um, names of people who might be stakeholders and reached out and asked for stakeholders to participate. So we've done one meeting so far. There'll be another one in March. In February 2020, during report card conferences, kindergarten teachers reported students' results on NWEA map growth and Lexia Rapid. And in February 2020, um, this whole group met with ECRI. Um, I'm sorry, Nicole and Diane met and discussed the ECRI um, literacy um, curriculum with the subcommittee, and it was accepted and endorsed. And in March 2020, upcoming, we have an upcoming meeting with the Hill for Literacy and Crafting Minds.
So now I will turn it over to Ms. Caldwell, who will talk about our next steps. So <clears throat> as you can see, we've been incredibly busy this year, and the year is not over yet. We're only halfway through, or maybe a little more than halfway through. So to try to pull, pull it all together, at present, we're piloting two early literacy screening tools. We're using a variety of intervention materials, tools, strategies, and we're gathering our data. It is very clear, cl very early in this process to draw conclusions. There still are numerous steps to be completed throughout the remainder of the school year, including finishing our second screening, which is at the end of this week, and our third screening using the piloted screeners, uh, sustained progress monitoring, continued intervention based on student need and additional data analysis training, as well as professional development. As we continue this, we will have more of a complete picture of where we're going. So we will be looking at the following. We will review our data from assessments conducted in February and May. We will elicit and review feedback from teachers and principals. We've already started to receive some of that feedback. We have a survey monkey out to our teachers, and what we're finding out is that um, the teachers who are using Lexia really love Lexia a lot. Um, maps, not so much, at least that's what I'm hearing thus far. Um, we did ask our teachers about what is it in our journeys program that they feel is lacking, missing, and most of the responses have been phonics, and so we're very happy that we now have ECRI that will fulfill that piece of it. And another one of the questions was about Core 5. Um, how do you feel about an intervention tool as Core 5? And all of the teachers who are using Core 5 can't say enough wonderful things about it. So we will talk about this because it's in our budget and it's something that we would like for our teachers for next year. Um, we will need to eventually select a district-wide universal literacy tool, screening tool, select a progress monitoring tool, propose to you a final cost for district-wide universal screening and progress monitoring tools for the 2021 school year, oversee the implementation of ECRI, um, which the ladies have informed we're going to start our process on March 3rd, which is our next professional development day, and we're hoping to complete a full day by using a series of Wednesdays, perhaps from April and May. Uh, we'll finalize additional interventions for the 2021 school year, propose your final cost, and then increase outreach for parent communication, collaboration regarding screening and progress monitoring. So I know this has been a lot to digest tonight. It was a pretty comprehensive report because we've been pretty busy over the past year, but we're happy to answer any questions. Member McLaughlin. Thank you very much for this uh, thorough report. Um, and congratulations, um, Susanna, on being chosen for a number of the, um, for both the dyslexia, for the development of the Mass Dyslexia Guidelines um, and the Literacy Champions Committee. Good news. They're lucky to have you. Um, I, uh, I find this a lot to absorb, right, especially at this hour of the night um, after a long day, as you all have had as well. Um, and, but I, as you know, we have been hearing from community members, from family members as well, and um, with concern over um, 
Over dyslexia, and I think that's been, you know, universal throughout the, the state. I don't think that's necessarily unique to Medford, but um, going towards the increased outreach for parent communication, collaboration regarding screening and progress monitoring. I love seeing all of the data and training and professional development and everything you guys are doing with your with the staff in our schools and with the teachers and um, it's clearly a lot of work that's been happening. Um, I'm feeling like, is there a way that we can engage our families more so that they're feeling like they're part of the process and that they're participating, they're feeling empowered, they're feeling like they're being brought along in the process and not necessarily told after the fact or you know, in the middle of the fact or before the fact or whatever, because I'm sure as you know, being parents yourselves, right, that, uh, or some of you being parents yourselves, that when it comes to our children, it gets very emotional. Um, and it's different as uh, coming from a staff or administrative perspective um, when it's not your child because of the emotion level. Um, and I think if, we, if there's ways that we are thinking, it does increase outreach for parent communication and collaboration. I'm wondering what exactly that would be. And I'm thinking back towards um, Mayor Lungo Kern's you know, transition meetings with a lot of community members and those sort of sit downs where people were able to really talk and share and express their information and feelings and you know what they would like to see happen. I found them personally um, very enlightening and helpful and I feel like hopefully those are just first steps and those conversations will continue and I'm excited about community collaboration at this level um, for our families and I'm wondering how can this be as uh, comprehensive as clearly all of the rest of the report is. Like, what next steps can we do uh, to be able to make sure that our families are feeling really engaged? So at the very beginning, I think we were all on a learning curve. Yeah. And I think that because Desi still hasn't come out with the guidelines, we're still waiting for that, and that might take a while. Right. But we are at a point where I feel like we have a lot of information, and I think that we can begin looking at um, introducing this and having more family participation in this. So we'll look into that. That would be really helpful. And does DESI offer any, it seems like, you know, they're always talking about family and community engagement from DESI perspective. And it's one of the indicators, right? It's one of the things that we're supposed yes, to be doing as is. a district. And one of the things that we're supposed to be tracking for data. Um, so do they offer any training that you guys are aware of or information or awareness or anything for families? So I don't know, Mrs. Tark, Ms. Tark is in the audience with us, I can certainly contact Desi and um, ask them if they offer anything for family and community and engagement. I offer one thing, just based on what I was hearing during the dyslexia stakeholders meeting, yeah. there was a lot of discussion about who are these guidelines really being written for, right. and the overwhelming voices in the room were saying that they're being written for everybody, right. so that they're really being written for administrators, teachers, parents, right. students themselves of when course. they're at an age where that's appropriate. So I think that as we're kind of looking forward that those guidelines coming from DESE right. will be including families. Right. So to kind of respond to that. Good. Since you're on the Massachusetts Guideline Committee, I would ask that you you know, that you keep elevating that, right? That, that that's the students themselves and the families and community members are engaged in that way because um, I do think that when you have buy-ins from families and when they feel like they're being valued and um, it, it helps the process move along more smoothly. Toward that end, I know that CPAC 
um, and I know that the co-chair of the um, Special Ed Parent Advisory Council is here tonight as well. I know that they did a presentation last year um, with um, families on dyslexia and educators on dyslexia. They'll be doing another one, I think, this year, and we'll make sure that we get you all that information and that we hope teachers and uh, educators and central administration will come as well. It's a great opportunity to bring families and, um, and employees and staff to the table together. Can Sounds I, like a plan, thank you. Yeah. Can I just add one thing too? I, I want us to be very careful in realizing, and I, I have talked to Ms. Ms. Tarka about this as well, is that this is not just limited to dyslexia. This is an early literacy screener yes. where we're looking at the potential for a neurological learning disability, but we're also able to identify our tier two students who may need intervention yet don't have that neurological disability. So I know that the name um, can sometimes be a bit, bit of a misnomer, but um, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page when we're, mm -hmm. when we're um, looking at this law, if that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. I just also wanted to add one thing. I think that um, communication between schools and families will become a lot more natural and a lot more easy once we know which tool is going to be ours. Because right now, we're still learning and we're still testing or piloting. Once we know which screener is going to be ours and which intervention tool is going to be ours, then I think that will come more naturally. Thank you. Yeah, I think it just, I think families also feel like it would be great to have a voice in what those screeners and tools are um, because they're living it every day, right, with their children and with the children themselves being able to have a say in that. So really, Desi should be considering that too, and I'm, I'll be sure to bring it up to them as well. Thank you. Desi does have parents on their committee yep. as stakeholders, so there are parents who are Good. there. Um, they have a variety of stakeholders, and in addition to that, they are going to be, ha they were looking for students yeah. who would want to come forward and talk about their own experiences, so right. they're also looking for a student voice, so there are people paying attention to that. Good, and so if there are students or families in this community that are interested, um, could they get a hold of you to get yeah, that information to Desi? Yeah, I'd be happy to give that information that to Desi, absolutely. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Member Rousseau. <clears throat> thank you for the report. Um, um, I don't know if this is off topic or not, but um, I noticed in the ELA budget um, that we have no reading specialists for tier two at the high school. Correct. And so for all the kids that none of this is going to help, um, I'm just wondering, so for if, if they're tier three and they're in special ed, there are reading specialists at the high school. For tier three, a student okay. on an IEP will receive services yes okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> and um, so I guess I'm just I, I guess mm -hmm. one of the things that surprised me the most about this was that we don't have anybody at the high school for tier yeah. is there really just there's nobody for tier two so what we've done you're correct there's no at the middle school and this was on my wish list I mentioned this during our pre-budget I think I mentioned it yeah. so long ago, it feels like I've mentioned it. I know it's on my wish list. And um, we have two reading specialists, as I mentioned, at the middle school that do not see students, mostly see students who are tier two, tier two have the tier two needs. Um, the high school, we do not have that. It is on my wish list to get two specialists there so that we can service the students who aren't on an IEP but still have gaps in their reading. Um, what I have done, working with Mr. DeLeva, is taken the schedule and created some elective courses called Literacy Challenge, which do identify students who 
through different um, measures. So perhaps they didn't do well on their MCAS. Um, teacher recommendation uh, of students who are struggling in reading and writing. And so we have something called Literacy Challenge, which instead of taking mythology course or you know any other mini, the students attend Literacy Challenge two out of the six days a week. And I work with the teachers to find ways to service the students. They do not work with reading specialists, and that would be the next step. So I've, I've managed to get it in our schedule, which was a big step with the support of high school administration, but the next step would be having um, the experts in there. Um, so yes. Thank you. <clears throat> Superintendent. I just want to thank um, the Dream Team, Associate Superintendent Diane Caldwell, Dr. Chiesa, Ms. Campbell, and Ms. Champoli for um, spearheading all of this work together. Really, um, you're here making this presentation today, but what the school community hasn't been able to see is the hours that you guys have spent um, really um, looking at research, reaching out to um, other colleagues, and really trying to keep Medford at the forefront. Um, we've said it many times that DESE has not yet given their final um, decision, and we are so grateful that um, Ms. Campbell is working closely with DESE and will be part of that team that makes the final recommendation for the state. So I think we need to um, always keep that in mind that what we're doing hasn't officially um, been sanctioned yet by DESE, um, but we're doing something that's positive and we're getting good results and the addition of ECRI and other things that we're trying to do in terms of literacy, um, we are taking it seriously and um, it is a priority for all of us. So I just wanna continue to thank you for the hard work that you're doing on behalf of Metro Public Schools. Thank you. Thank you. Member Van de Kloot. Uh, yes, and I realize that it is somewhat amusing that the uh, curriculum subcommittee, which will speak to ECRI, has not yet been uh, reported out yet, <laughs> only because of the um, suspensions that we've had this evening. But we will get to it and uh, explain a little more. Um, so in um, the notes, uh, first results were given to parents for grade one and two uh, in November, and then kindergarten uh, parents have now, they've all received yes. some results. So I'm curious whether initially we were surprised at the number of kids or it was what we expected or no, it was lower than we expected. I was sort of curious about your initial reactions. And then I'm wondering if we have supports uh, uh, to help students right away who were red flagged in this process. Um, in terms of the support, once the student was red flagged, we already had the win time blocked into the schedule. So at the first grade and second grade level, we have already taken the literacy block before we did any of these screeners and created um, 20 to 30 minutes within the literacy block for specific intervention. So the data and the, and the way in which the students were flagged um, at the time was through the win assessments as well as teacher uh, input. With the screeners, we've been able to take that a step further because now we have more, even more solid data to show us the needs of the students. So we've been able to take the students who are showing um, some concerns in literacy and target 
their needs, whether they are using Lexia Core 5 in the classroom, whether they are using decoding power, um, which is another intervention tool that we use, or um, a variety of different interventions based on the child's needs. So in terms of time, we've been able, because it was already in there, um, in the schedule, we were able to really move forward quickly. Um, during that time also, we tend to have more all hands on deck, so we have more specialists, more teachers generally in the classroom, um, and the students mix together so that we can really pool our resources a little bit more. Um, so the fact that it was already in there was very easy to make that intervention piece. Does that? Yes. Yeah. And how about um, your what, what you're seeing initially? It varied initially based on just learning of the tool. So um, there were some red flags for students that we may not have been anticipating. What we did see is some of that was because when Lexia Rapid tests, sometimes they test on what the child would look like at the end of the year. But we also saw gaps in some phonics, which, I, which we have begun to solve with the endorsement of ECRI. So um, we saw some deficits in those areas uh, that I we were expecting because of the win assessments from last year, but it was um, it was really important piece of data for us as we moved forward with our next steps. Okay, and, and then um, lastly, where then becomes the line where we determine that a student is, uh, is dyslexic or severely dyslexic um, so that they need more than classroom supports, but they need a specialized, um, uh, maybe special education support. So I will let um, Ms. Champoli speak more to that, but I will add in, we intervene, we screen to intervene, we intervene, and then we have the TAT team established um, as well if we start to feel that our interventions, are, the student is not progressing based on the interventions. Um, more steps need to be taken. I will let Ms. Champoli maybe say a little bit more yep. if I didn't as eloquently no, explain No, you, you described it really well. It's called response to intervention. So um, once a teacher has a concern, then they change, they differentiate their instruction within the classroom. They might bring in the TAT, a teacher-assisted team. At some schools it's called STAT, TAT. It's, um, you know, a teacher assistance team and where you um, implement an intervention collect data, meet a few weeks later, see how that's going. Um, and if, they're, if you're not seeing the progress that you want to see, that's when, you would, that's when a teacher would refer for a special education evaluation. Okay, great, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all your work. Member Kretz. Thank you, I just wanted to say thank you all very much for this really comprehensive report. And the first thing that I thought of when I read it was, you know, how proactively Medford jumped right in and immediately began working on this after the bill's inception. I mean, the, um, all the outlines that we see here just shows how busy you've been. Every month you've either been training, attending, professional development, screening. Um, it just shows how much work you've been doing and I just want to say thank you all very much. Thank you all. Member Graham. Thank you. <laughs> Again. Um, so a couple of things that strike me as I listened um, to the report and read it and was actually helpful for you guys to say to say things again because there is a lot to digest here. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things that just sort of jumped out at me and that parents have asked me about personally. Um, one is that we're getting results, particularly with our kindergarten students, fairly early. Until February, when report 
expecting more timely connection of my child was assessed and you saw X or Y or Z and then you told it, and then I found out about it versus if you found out about something about my child in October, I wouldn't want to have to wait until February to know that there was something amiss there. One thing we want to keep in mind with our kindergarten students in particular is that you want to give students a certain amount of time in the classroom to acclimate and to learn some skills. So many of the screeners actually dictate that they're not even given to kindergartners until January. They're, they wait a little bit so that students have a chance to kind of learn some of those skills that you're going to be assessing. Because if you have a disability, you're provided with the instruction, but you're not responding to that instruction in the way that we would expect. Mm -hmm. rather than it's not really the skills you come in with. So I think that that's one piece. I also think that as we move forward and we kind of lay out a plan of how we're going to screen and progress monitor and give information, we will have that kind of laid out in a way where parents are aware of what the schedule is and we can be looking for feedback on that. I think during the pilot, it was really important that that first conversation was face-to-face. I think that that's the reason why we really wanted that first conversation to be teacher with a parent speaking about a child face to face because this is one piece of information in a whole bunch of other information. Um, another thing about the kindergartners was that they had, a lot of them weren't really familiar with how to use a computer-based test. I mean, there was a lot of information that might have come forward with that first screen and it wasn't necessarily mirroring what the teachers were seeing. So being able to present that and saying, here's what this data shows, but here's what I'm seeing in class. This, these are my observations. It was part of a whole picture. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that too. Um, even though we have these screeners and they give us some concrete data, it's still one piece of a puzzle. So like Susanna said, what, what does it actually look like in, in day to day? Um, there also is the, the initial screener at the beginning of the year that every kindergarten, kindergartner gets, and if they, fail that screener, then parents are informed immediately and then rescreened or, um, so they had that data at the beginning of the year too. Yeah, I guess um, when I think about the sequencing, right, like I know we're kind of obligated to a timeline for conferences by teacher contract, but that timeline doesn't match up with any step in the assessment process. So it doesn't match up with the first one. So I can understand wanting ideally to have a face-to-face -face conversation but now we've had kindergarten conferences and we're not, and we're going to finish that second assessment so we've like missed it again so what's no, the we'll what's the, the what's that we'll be on the same schedule now it was just the first uh, round uh, that the kindergarten actually had their conferences um, at the very beginning of February, I But believe. if the second assessment hap isn't due to be finished until this Friday, have right. the, had the kindergarten... Um, yes. So, K so they've already two, happened. K-1-2 are now on the same schedule, yes. But, but I, sorry to interrupt you. I think moving forward, now that that initial face-to-face -face explanation of mm -hmm. this is one test, we've, if your child was red flagged, we've now given another assessment. The assessment confirms this red flag or it dispels it. That first conversation was very important. Come second round, we are working um, to, we won't have a face-to-face -face conversation. We will 
report to the parents, but they will now be familiar with what the report looks like. They'll have had a lot of their questions answered. Rather, we didn't want the first round to be, here's a piece of paper, and oh my goodness, like, I have four sure, children. Yeah. If I got that piece of paper and I said, wow, this is a problem, I, I would want to reach out to the teacher right away. Now that that's happened, the second round, we won't require that face-to-face, um, -face, unless, of course, the parent, you know, would like it. So I think, therefore, it will roll out more quickly. We won't have to wait for that, um, co that conference, because there won't be one, unless, right. unless right. requested. So is there a timeline for that, for when the results from February will go home to families? Yes, I don't know the specific date. Um, the, the testing concludes on Friday, um, and then there, we have a data analysis, I believe it's March 18th, with the teachers so that they understand the data, and um, so that they understand the data, so that the administrators understand the data, and then uh, we will take that information there with the report and also look at the other pieces we've assessed and send out a packet. But we have not finalized the exact date yet, but it will be coming. Right. Okay. And then um, just hearing this um, update and hearing about pre-budget, it sort of yes. strikes me that there's like a bigger picture here. Um, mm -hmm particularly as it relates to the budget, mm -hmm. which is not just about what tool we use to screen. I think that's really important, but when you start screening, I think we ex probably expect to see a lot more children be identified earlier that may require services, which also potentially costs money. Um, and then from there, um, we have our, you know, sort of the curriculum conversation that has started around ECRI and yes. journeys and all that good stuff. But then we also have this whole pile of kids who are like out of the cycle of an initial assessment, being able to catch those challenges early and remediate them. And they may be in six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm -hmm. So what is our plan to sort of identify those children and do what we need to do to remediate them. So to, it just strikes me that there's this bigger mm -hmm. conversation around um, literacy and the costs we need to anticipate yes. both this year and into the future that we need to have. Yes. Um, I'm told by lots of people that there's lots of support all over the city, including at our city council, for support of the money that is needed. And I, that is super exciting to me, but I feel like we do have to lay that out somehow so that we can start to have a meaningful conversation around what it, what are all the, like if there's a hundred parts, mm -hmm. which, which parts of the hundred parts are we dealing with this year right. and where do we go from there? So how do we, are you, when do you sort yep. of plan to tell us what the data is telling us right. and when do we have that conversation, I guess is my question. So first of all, so we have to kind of take it step by step, right, because there, there are a lot of pieces, so we have to really, really thorough and thoughtful in how we address it at the different school levels. So you mentioned six, seven, and eight. So six, seven, and eight already has a clear pathway for identification. I'm strictly speaking about tier two, so I'm not, a, I'm not talking about the students on IEPs, but our children that still have gaps in literacy. Come fifth grade, moving into six, we have a series of, we have a formula that create, uses Study Island data, uh, uses MCAS scores, uses the F&P from grade five, but also uses different tools that the fifth grade teacher has seen um, to recommend the child for that tier two middle school reading specialist that I just spoke to with Mr. Rousseau. 
When the child enters into sixth grade, they have, we have their study island data. Um, that was mentioned in my pre-budget report as well. You, we usually attain that through a grant. Um, we'll see if we can get it through the grant as well. That's given in math and English, and it's the same process. There are a certain set of standards that the child needs to perform at a certain level for, and if they don't, they're red flagged at the middle school. We then take those group of students and we place them into, we, we talk with the parents, you know, get approval, make sure they want sure. it, and we place them into that with our reading specialist for six, seven, and eight. In the past, we used to have reading skills for everybody. So we had our top readers with our struggling readers getting a reading skills class. What we decided we had to do was make efficient use of our resources and say it would be great if everybody could get reading, but we know we have a really small, we have a, not a small group, we have a group that really needs small instruction. So middle school, we do have a process for identifying and intervening. Um, and as you can see from my pre-budget report, I did provide some different uh, resources I want to continue with, like the Lexia Power Up and the Islet and the Read Naturally, a few different programs um, based on the needs of the child, so we can really personalize it. So middle school, um, we're in very good shape. Um, when you bring up budget, which I'm very glad you did, when we think about the assessment and the screener for K1 and 2, we do need to plan accordingly within the budget. Uh, Medford has been extremely proactive with your support in terms of assessing earlier than a lot of other districts are doing. And I think that's a really great thing. And I think you can see it's really propelled us to take a lot of steps in literacy beyond just screening. Um, so we do need to anticipate that cost unless this pilot continues on another year, which I don't anticipate, we are looking at a cost for whichever screener we choose. And that is not in my budget. That was um, a potential separate line, um, line item. Um, and then in grades three, four, and five, we have a series of benchmarks um, to work with the students. And the Title I in grade three also have a set of criteria so that they can um, close, to, they can identify those red flags and work with the students. Uh, the high school, we follow a similar path that middle school does. We just don't have Study Island, um, but we follow a similar path with recommendations, MCAS results, um, performances on our common assessments to put them in the literacy challenge classes. So does that help with the secondary level and then with the elementary? It, we do it does. need to keep that in mind with budget, though. I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up. The other thing, too, is as you meet with the elementary principals, and I put it on my budget as well, that Lexia Core 5 and Lexia Power Up is expensive, but also been very well received. And I think it's something that I would encourage you to strongly consider during budget time um, for our students in need. Yeah, and I think the other, when I think of like the big literacy picture, um, it also includes what's happening with our tier three students who yes. are not in your budget, yes. but they're yeah. in the special ed budget, yes. but they're sort of all wrapped up in this conversation, right? In some way, shape 100%. or form, because we're talking about literacy and we're mm -hmm. talking about what tools are we using to remediate and all of that yeah. good stuff. So when I think about like n that need for that bigger picture, that's, that's a whole um, other facet. I would it. include in, in my mind that has mm -hmm. to be included if we're talking about literacy, mm -hmm. um, whether it's you know whoever's budget it ends up. In. Right. So I feel like we need to have that conversation. I don't know where we would have that conversation, right. but I think it's really important. The other great piece we had Dr. Gob here mm -hmm. um, last year 
do a presentation about intervening early and the benefits of, of intervening early to remediate and to fill in those deficits um, before we, you know, get into a situation where, you know, it's been too pro prolonged. So this, this screening and this intervening uh, is a very important step that Medford's taking yeah. as we move forward. And I think well. just like sort of any process when this happens, these bubble years are going to be years where mm -hmm. we're, we're having to do many things. And in, yes. if we can like see to the other side That's of right. it, things get better. Yep. But for right now, like we do have a lot ahead of us. So I... Again, I'm not exactly sure if that's a curriculum subcommittee conversation to have, um, which is possible, but I really want us to have that sort of broader literacy conversation so that when we're making decisions about the budget, we sort of can do that with that whole picture in mind. I think that would be wonderful. For example, when we had the ECRI and we talked mm -hmm. about not just the tier one materials, but the tier two as well, right. that's an important piece of this right. as we move forward. So yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thanks. Member McLaughlin. Yeah, thank you. Um, just in a follow-up to uh, earlier, I, um, two things. Uh, one is I forgot to ask. Um, it was brought to my attention as well by um, uh, community members that there was a motion um, made and accepted last um, year at school committee apparently um, to do consultation with the um, landmark school. Um, it was uh, made by Erin Benedetto, I guess, and uh, seconded by Paulette. Um, and I'm wondering if that has occurred, and if not, when that can occur. I can speak to that. Um, Misty Benedetto asked me to reach out to Andover Public Schools, which was a school that Dr. Gobb had referenced, as well as the Landmark Consulting Services. Um, did make contact with Andover Public Schools. Uh, they, they have not implemented a screener like we have, but I did reach out to them for their different steps because they're doing a lot of good screening as well. They're not part of the DESE pilot, to my knowledge. Um, and we also reached out to Landmark Consulting Services, and I believe Ms. Bowen also followed up um, or had some conversations as well, although I don't want to speak for her, but I did reach out to them as well, their consulting side, to look at their models and their screeners as well. So that was done back in, I believe that was a motion made in May, if I'm not mistaken. And that was and helpful? I think it was done the following week. Oh, good. Thank yeah. you. And that was helpful, the consultation um, with It was very helpful. You know, it's nice to make contact where Dr. Gobb had referenced Andover a few times. I also reached out to North Andover. Um, it's, it's helpful to see we're all on the front line. We're all doing this for the students. We, we really benefit when we pool our resources and talk to others, whether it's the Landmark School or another public school. Mm. I found it very helpful. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And so also, um, I know we haven't gotten to the um, curriculum subcommittee minutes yet, but um, it is informative and related to ECRI. Um, I know that um, member Van de Kloot had asked in that um, committee meeting about um, asked our, um, Director Paul Testera for the um, EL whether the ECRI program would be used for EL students and he explained that it it will be used and provides an excellent resource so getting again which is great I'm mm -hmm. glad to hear that so but also to um, member um, Graham's um, comment which is much appreciated about uh, you know really remembering the tier three students and looking at literacy for all is that also applicable for the tier three the ECRI? ECRI is tier one and tier two. Okay, and so they, yeah, please. Students who receive tier three are still part of the general education curriculum. Of course. And so they would also be receiving tier one in addition, just to be clear about that. So if you had a student who may be receiving special education, 
for decoding outside of the classroom setting, they would still be receiving reading instruction in their classroom setting. So that's why it's important to align everything. And we are thinking about that and how this all interweaves together right. so that students are getting similar instruction and building upon that and not getting two very different programs that are confusing to them. Right. So, right, because every student's a general education student and some students are receiving special education supports and services to but, what um, member Graham was saying. Also, special education teachers are going to be part of that professional development as well. Okay. So even though it's a tier one and tier two, the tier three service providers are going to be part right, of the because, development. Sure. So because, sure. Yeah, so it's, it's an approach that can be carried. Right. You know, between tiers. So when I move back into tier one, like right. Approach. And do paraprofessionals attend that PD as well? They do not. Mr. Volpe has something else planned for them. But I'm sure that if they're working with their teachers, their teachers will help them understand how to use ECRI or any of the screeners that we use. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very thank much you. for, I don't know if there's any other questions, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. We have recommendation, oh, I was gonna just do, get people out of here. Recommendation to approve strategic prevention framework, partnerships for success, grant letter of commitment, Marion O'Connor, and Ms. Penny Nolan. Hi, how are you? Thank you for your patience. Thank you for having us here today. We really appreciate you hearing this. It was a short turnaround, so again, really thankful that you're listening. Marion O'Connor is still on vacation, so I am speaking on behalf of uh, the Office of Health and the Office of Prevention and Outreach. We are applying to a federal grant from Substance Abuse and Mental Health administration called the Partnerships for Success Grant. It's called the Strategic Prevention Partnerships for Success Grant. Um, we are looking at this funding. This funding will provide for two positions should we get it. It's very difficult to get a federal grant, but we are going to keep trying and, and continue to work on, on getting those applications out because they're really, they're really good investments in the community. Mm -hmm. We saw that with our, our Drug-Free Communities Grant in 2004 until 2014, and our Stop Back Grant, which was 2012 to 2016. So, um, this grant application that we're applying for, it's to reduce, it's, excuse me, to um, prevent the onset, reduce the misuse of substances amongst youth, and its related problems. It also requires that we understand adult substance use as well, and to look at that as a as a particular factor in youth substance use and just in substance use in general. And overall looking at behavioral health as a whole and not seeing these things as separate from. Um, so what we thought uh, we heard from our community in 2000, last year, we had a big process. We worked with Medford Health Matters. We held a series of big table sessions. Almost everybody was was there that was sitting in front of me, um, had attended at least one or two or more of those sessions. And then we invited in some representatives from the um, citywide PTO. And as well, we've also been noticing the uh, CPAC work with, the, with parents. So what we want to do with this grant is we want to really focus on families. 
families. We want to work on um, parent education that looks at the prevention and the onset of substance use, right? So we're really looking at that developmental, understanding your child from 10 to 18 and that adolescent stage. What does that look like for families? Understand um, how substance misuse affects young people and the family system. And then really looking at like, how can we bring in programming that's going to target families who have current substance use in the family? So the, uh, the premise of this grant will ultimately be to build out programming from the Office of Prevention and Outreach. We would like to see a sustained, this is a five-year grant, we would like to see a sustained program of an evidence-based program such as Strengthening Families, which has been many, many 20-plus years of, I, I don't want to, that's not on the record, 10 more, 10 or more years um, of evidence-based programming that is nationally recognized, and then looking at other um, programs that will be very, very specialized to families who have substance use in their family. And there's um, one that we're looking at called Celebrating Families. So we are currently writing this grant. It is, uh, it's a really difficult process, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, so I don't have the actual document to share with you. It is due on March 6th. Ideally, we would be submitting at the, at the midweek next week. Um, so this is, this is a, you know, a lot to ask to turn around a letter of commitment. The draft letter that was submitted is a draft. It is up to, you know, if you, you know, if you like it, you don't like it, we want to adjust it, that's up to you all. We're not um, prescribing this. But we will also be asking the public school administration for a letter to carry forth a number of the activities that we've been doing over the years. I mean, let me just say first, we've been working a lot over the last 15 years together on substance abuse prevention. We want to keep doing the good work that we're doing, and that includes data-driven um, initiatives, that includes data collection, and so I do have a copy if anyone needs a copy of this. Oh, so sorry. So effectively what we're asking for is to be able to come and meet with you a couple times a year to tell you what's going on with prevention, what's going on with the parent programming. We want to make connections ultimately um, with parent organizations and leverage your, your work in the community to kind of uh, accentuate that. And then also um, I'm in, in any committees that you may be putting forth that involve substance use or behavioral health, we would like to be a part of that. Um, and the, 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 the grant requirement is that it's a letter of commitment. So um, it does have to be worded in that way it, for us to make it a viable, you know, worth our time here today. So. Um, <laughs> um, Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to hear this. I am the chair of the Subcommittee on Behavioral Health and um, Special Education and Pupil Services, and I am excited um, by this and uh, will look forward to working with you, um, assuming that we will have a motion uh, to accept. And I think our member Rousseau had a question uh, before we do that. But thank you very much thank for this you. presentation. Very exciting, much needed. Um, you know, we really appreciate all the work your office is doing and um, really saving our children and um, getting that information out there for families and helping folks understand illness that substance abuse is. Thank you. Thank you. 
Member Rousseau. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, um, I, just reviewing the letter, I just uh, we will have to be cautious because, uh, well, you will have to work very closely with um, um, Nurse Ray um, because we did approve last year a research project that is ongoing that very much involves a lot of this stuff, um, and you know we want to not damage their project, th their research that has already begun. I know my son was screened through the that research recently, um, but I know you can handle all that. So I like a make make a motion to approve. Second. Motion to approve by Member Rousseau, seconded by Mel um, Member McLaughlin. Um, thank you th for, for being here and thank you for waiting so long. Um, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, do you need a ro would you like a roll call? Roll call vote oh, yeah, has sure. been requested. Yes, six in the affirmative, one absent, the paper passes. Um, I know that we're going to table a few things. It's getting late, but we need to do a report on fundraising organizations. Oh, I can read it if you want me to read it. <laughs> By Miss Emily Lazaro. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, so you have the report. It's um, similar to last year's, uh, just updated. The I, I added on your desks. Um, it's a fluid document. It had some new information that I was able to fill in since I wrote the report and put it in the folders, and now it's today. Um, happy to answer any questions you have about the report or about uh, the practice of um, attempting to keep track of the 501c3s that operate to benefit the schools in Medford. Um, thank you, Ms. Lazaro. Member McLaughlin. Thank you um, for this, uh, Emily. I was noting earlier uh, that the Special Education Parent Advisory Council was not on this list, and um, as the former co-chair, I know last year we were asked to provide this reporting as well. Um, so we do raise money. Um, I know that we're under a different entity because of the uh, legal requirement that the state has to have a CPAC in every one of their districts, but um, we uh, also have provided this information, so I'm assuming that we are not a 501c3, but I assume that we need to be on this list. Yeah, as I can well. absolutely add you. There's the, the section CPAC on the is. bottom for other organizations, and mm -hmm. since CPAC doesn't fit exactly in with the first two, I can add it there in the, in the bottom. That would be helpful. Thank yeah. you. Sure. Great. Thank you. Member Rousseau. I just uh, thank you for the report. I just, um, in the the letter that you put in the front, there was a point about that they're not required by law to provide this information, and that is, of course, true, but they are required per the policy of member public schools to provide this information, and while that is not legally binding, the, rem the remedy if they decide they don't want to provide this information is that we can say they can't use our facilities or the school's names. So they are really sure. required to provide this information, and I don't know if there's anybody who's not doing it, but it, I just that that sounded a bit like if you feel like doing it, do it. When in fact we were much more more clear that this is not optional for anybody that's associated with our schools. Um, the list should really probably be three times as long, and we have not gotten to the point where we've kind of, you know, thrown down the the, the gauntlet on getting people to do this. But if you're raising money and you're using our schools' names. <coughs> 
or our facilities, you need to be on this list, and that's not an ask. Um, Absolutely. In the same sense that every time somebody wants to distribute a flyer in the schools, they have to get the approval of the superintendent, or they're not permitted to distribute the flyer. Uh, I can share with you whose updated financial information has been received by our office, and then you can you know, do with it as a committee as you would like. Um, but I, uh, the intention of the letter was to say that um, the form that requests financial information from the 501c3 organizations was sent out. Some responses were received, and this is the updated document as I have it. Thank you. Thank you, Member Kretz. Thank you, Ms. Lazaro, for the report. Um, I just wanted to know because I know part of the, um, you know, part of the policy is to have, um, you know, the PTOs contacted so they can come and do a presentation. I know we had the first presentation was last year, and it was in April. So I was wondering if, um, you know, since we have the email addresses, if if you could email and see if any of the PTO was interested in coming. I know it was organized last year and several PTO members came out and they did a presentation. They took turns presenting. That's, that's the intention this year. Excellent. Great. And of course, if they can't attend, it's fine. They can send in a written report. Okay. Thank Excellent. you. I'll let them know. Member Graham. Um, so I know I sent a note to you um, before I resigned as the chair of the Brooks PTO. I tried to submit and I got an error message and that was after I put all the information in the form. Yes. So I don't know if it landed to you and it just threw an error or if it just evaporated. I have a um, response from the Brooks PTO. Okay, so then yeah. maybe it was fine. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't sure. The other thing I want to point out about that policy is that there were commitments made by the district about um, some training support that would be offered to these organizations, and that has not happened yet. Um, they, um, there was something shared that was a um, a webinar from the AG's office, which was actually really informative if you're going to be on a board that is a 501c3. Um, and I know some schools have taken measures to make sure their folks are doing that. But one of the big important pieces that sort of gave rise to needing a policy at all was around treasury and record keeping. And there was a commitment in that policy that the district would be providing some training resource. Um, for our treasurers specifically, and I know that that hasn't happened yet. So, so uh, Christine Patterson last year provided some links to trainings that are available at the Attorney General's mm -hmm. website. I took those. Um, the, uh, that's what I know about, and I passed your, we had a meeting at the beginning of the summer, and yeah. I passed your information along to Christine. Um, so I think the challenge is just a physical human body hours in the day challenge for um, departments that have many responsibilities and since the 501c3s are separate organizations and I understand that the policy was written to um, promote uh, transparency and collaboration between all of the organizations but there um, I, I think that the you may run into something where there just isn't really that much time for the public school district to be um, instructing separate fundraising organizations on how to do business. I, this is not my office, I, don't, I wouldn't do it, but that would be a suspicion that I would have. 
Um, however, if it is the policy, we should be doing it. So uh, right. that is noted. Yeah, and I um, can certainly appreciate the uh, time constraint. Um, I think it's real, and I think we have to figure out a way to maybe collaborate our way out of that. Um, but I will say, uh, as a 501c3, the job of a treasurer is very serious. It has a lot of obligations and ramifications that sort of well-intentioned parents trying to do good for their schools just may not have the depth to understand. Like, literally my eyebrows go up each and every time I hear about a raffle going on in our school district because I suspect that many of them are not compliant and it's not because people don't want to do it, it's that they don't even know that there's something to do. So I think there are some key things that are really important from a compliance standpoint that if we could all maybe work together with the PTOs that are doing this and experiencing it and building something that's repeatable, whether that's like a WebEx or something that's recorded, it would go a long way to the collaboration and a feeling that the sort of support goes both ways from the district to the PTOs and vice versa. Member McLaughlin. Um, I had put my uh, the request on for something else, but I also want to respond to um, Member Graham's um, point, and maybe it's something that needs to be moved to the um, Rules and Policy Subcommittee for consideration. Um, so I want to put that out there now and just have people think about that. But the other was just a small um, thing. Emily, the uh, citywide PTO, I think, is now renamed the Elementary Alliance. Um, and I see oh, that, their, uh, that their email is medfordcitywidepto at gmail.com. I'm not sure that that's accurate anymore. And I think there's another, potentially another entity that's calling themselves the citywide PTO. Um, so it could lend itself to some confusion. And so well, we just. I'm confused. Even, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we should probably mm -hmm. touch base about what the yeah, difference absolutely. is. Yeah, like. absolutely. Please, if you notice anything that you think, uh, if we can do it over email, just. Uh, then, then I can. I would happily add or change or adjust. Um, fluid document always. Thank updated. you. Yeah, and I, yeah. Thank you. And so I guess I would ask the rest of the committee what they think of the having this as part of the rules and policy subcommittee in terms of the training for um, uh, for setting up a training or a system for 501c3s, which I believe the McGlynn middle PTO was the only one that was not a 501c3, and I believe it's going to be, or is, you know, nearly, what's that? Yeah, it's working, it's almost um, a 501c3, so it's it's nearing. Um, so it seems like there should be some policy in, in place, but again, I'm throwing it out to the rest of the committee to see what the feeling is. Thank you, Member Russo. Um, <clears throat> Well, first, I just wanted to not forget to say that I do appreciate all the hard work that these groups are doing. I sounded very negative earlier, and uh, like there's like a bunch of creepy groups going off and using our names to earn money or something. That's not at all what I think is happening, so I just wanted to make sure that was on record. Um, I appreciate all of the work, and it's a lot of work. Um, and, and, you know, to the issue of training, while it's 100% true that, in fact, it's, it seems almost inappropriate for us to be offering a training for nonprofits. The reality is, is that when there's problems in these groups, they don't side of our organization. 
they eat up a huge amount of time for the administration. So, you know, just as a practical matter, even if we shouldn't be doing trainings, it may be a lot less work than dealing with the fallout when there's problems in these organizations because they're made up of parents um, that are obviously part of our district. Um, as for our training, going to that subcommittee, um, <clears throat> my memory of the last conversation around the training was that it would be on demand, meaning if somebody needs it, they could schedule a meeting with the assistant superintendent um, who seemed to be the right person, at least in the, at the moment, um, to assist them as needed versus we were going to actually create a training because there was a really a big question is, did, is anybody gonna take us up on it in the first place? Um, and <clears throat> without having a, a cadre of people who would take it, designing a training with no idea who the users are, what they're gonna wanna know, is a really big challenge. Um, so, I mean, I, I personally don't feel like we have the bandwidth to design a training. Certainly the subcommittee, I don't think, has any of the, none of the members have the skill set that I'm aware of to design any kind of financial training. Um, and, you know, if, if people are needing this, I think it's best to start from the request rather than, than I mean, if we had limited, unlimited resources, then I would be like, let's go send it to our, our, our training department. The webinar expert. <laughs> the one that doesn't yes. exist. Um, but I, I just don't see how we're gonna have the bandwidth for it. So um, that, that's my take. Thank you. Member Van de Kloot. Um, I, I guess sort of remembering the discussion last year with all good intentions that we would want to provide uh, uh, instruction to people because as uh, member Graham says uh, it's an incredible responsibility uh, and there's a lot of reporting things that you need to do when all of a sudden you're the treasurer uh, and you need to make sure you're following all the guidelines but in fact what I see and I think Paul has just touched on it is that right now we notice I mean our people are working hard and they're pretty tapped out so I don't know how we can possibly ask someone uh, within uh, to pursue this right now. Um, however, I think that we can. Uh, it's worthwhile to talk to the MASC and ask them whether any of their member districts, what they do. We might reach out to some other school committees uh, and see, see uh, whether they give any training. I mean, if there's something that already exists, uh, would be so much more preferable than having to uh, spend any, any time putting something together even if that would be a great thing. Madam Superintendent. I just wanted to echo what um, School Committee Member Vanderkloot just um, shared, that we are stretched very, very thin, especially in our finance um, department, and to take um, this on, but I am willing to look, um, reach out to MA MASC or speak with other um, school committees to see how they do address it. Um, the fact that it is a 501c3, it is a freestanding entity. And so um, I just feel like my hands are so full with just all things education and instruction um, that to take this on, this is truly 
a whole other body of work that, yes, it's important, but, um, you know, I, I can just say that I commit to trying to find additional resources or other, um, other ways that other communities have figured it out. Member Graham. Because she's going to end up repeating herself again and again as people ask questions. So I, we can remove it from the policy. That's an option that we should maybe talk about in the rules subcommittee. Um, but I, I just want this body to know that despite the best of intentions of all of these really hardworking volunteers, they're probably not getting it right because it's very complicated. And I, I don't want that to come back and sort of cause stress on this body or this administration. But more importantly, I don't want it to come back on these well-meaning volunteers, which could also happen as they sit on a board of a 501c3. So I know it's sort of not our problem to solve, but um, from a collaboration standpoint, I have some real concerns about choosing not to do anything, because I feel like we need to take that into consideration. Member Rousseau. Oh, um, no, nothing. You know, okay, Member Van de Kloot. So um, I'll reach out to the MASC and at least ask the question there of um, whether they know of any of training, whether um, that's a voice where we can get a uh, message out saying, hey, does your school system do something? So that at least we can start sort of saying, are there any, um, uh, is there anything around that we could um, adopt? Um, so I'll do that first piece. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Um, thank you for offering to do that. I do think um, that this is an ongoing conversation, and while in some respects, you know, 501c3s are separate entities, when they are using the school's name and the school's building and what have you, there is an interconnectedness um, between them. So I don't know, I'm not an attorney, obviously, and uh, you are, um, but not in this particular field, I know. Um, but, you know, the question about legal liability is definitely something that I think does need to be considered as we're talking about policy and, um, and school rules and, you know, um, and because there are so many strict uh, requirements. I did also do the AG training and um, there's a lot to, you know, be taken in there. So I think asking MASC is a great um, step. Thank you, Paulette, for doing that. I think also uh, looking at other school districts and understanding and seeing what they do, but I think that there's some gray area here and I don't think it's as easy as just saying, you know, it's not really, um, part of our responsibility, um, and not that anyone here is saying that, I'm just saying that uh, there could be uh, repercussions that we aren't aware of um, and that we should consider. Thank you. Thank you. Um, do we motion to accept the report on fundraising organizations. Accept by Mr. Rousseau, seconded by Ms. Kretz. All those in favor, all those opposed. Okay, old business, do we have any old business? Or would we like to table old business? Motion to table by Ms. McLaughlin. That's, a diff that's in the beginning. All those in favor, all those opposed. Communications, new 
business, school safety procedure update, motion to table. Motion to table by um, Member Russo, seconded by Member Kretz. School safety procedural update is tabled till March 9th. Status of outstanding reports. Motion to table by Member Rousseau, seconded by Second. Member Kretz. And we have a school committee resolution, be it resolved that the Medford School Committee express its sincere condolences to the family of Jonathan Davis. Mr. Davis was the brother-in-law of former Mayor Michael J. McGlynn and retired teacher Karen McGlynn Devine. Please all rise for a moment of silence. And motion to revert back to the regular business. Curriculum Subcommittee Enhanced Core Reading Instruction, ECRI, and Planning for Future Meetings 2.5.20, Member Van de Kloot. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, uh, make this the short version uh, because of the long hour. But we've, you've heard ECRI being uh, referred to any number of times this evening. Um, uh, Associate uh, Superintendent Diane Caldwell welcomed everybody um, and uh, she explained that there would be uh, a uh, on March 3rd a half day of professional development uh, session conducted by um, Hill for literacy and uh, professional development would develop would continue next year ECRI materials consist of downloadable PDFs for classroom instruction uh, and full district impl implementation is expected to occur at the beginning of uh, next, next fall. Uh, we received two handouts. Uh, Dr. Chiesa um, spoke about uh, ECRI as a multi-tiered program, uh, tier one and tier two, featuring a series of teaching routines designed to increase the efficiency and effectiveness of reading instruction in K2. The program is being introduced to improve student achievement in word reading and comprehension, fluency, and phonological awareness. Uh, tier one of the program is whole group instruction. Tier two is targeted intervention. Um, our teacher, Kristen Howell, Title I at the Columbus, worked with ECRI this past summer through a grant in conjunction with DESE and spoke highly of the program. Also, at our meeting, Michelle Donahue, a Medford resident and a teacher in another district, spoke to her very positive experience with ECRI. Her district uses a different reading program than Medford's Journeys, but they have the same concerns about foundational weaknesses that we are seeing. Ms. Donahue brought her teaching materials and explained facets of the day-to-day -day implementation. She sees it as something that easily fit into her current teaching and bolstered her students' understanding. Member Graham asked when the Journeys program would be evaluated. A discussion about the complexity of implementing all the new curriculum pieces followed, and we covered that some in our budget meeting tonight. Uh, Dr. Kies explained that it was essential not to overwhelm teachers while other new curriculums were being adopted. Um, Member Vanderclute asked uh, Director Texeria whether ECRI program would be useful for EL, and he, explained, uh, he uh, responded in the affirmative. Parent Sharon Hayes expressed some concerns with Journey's approach to the teaching of combination letter sounds. 
Uh, Diane Caldwell noted that the cost of equity is 275 per level. Uh, the combined cost came to 3,300, and the cost would be covered by Title I funds. Um, the motion was accepted. Uh, was made to accept ECRI was made by myself and seconded by Ms. Stone, and the motion passed three to one. The chair asked about upcoming topics, and we have a list, uh, elementary ELA and math, uh, suggestion to create the overall map of the curriculum. Uh, we reviewed, uh, we suggested we talk about civic standards in fourth and eighth grade, uh, the amount of assessments, uh, possibly reviewing elementary Italian program, and win assessments. And we adjourned at 6.59 p.m. Um, I would like to add to this um, and announce that we have another curriculum subcommittee meeting this Wednesday at 4.30, between 4.30 and 5.30. The purpose is to discuss proposed changes to the middle school health curriculum. So we'll be meeting this week again, okay? Okay. Um, Where's I the meeting, Ms. Vandekloot? Uh, it will be up at Medford High School. Medford High School. Uh, it would be appropriate for the uh, school committee to um, endorse uh, to make a, um, to endorse the adoption of ECRI. So I'd like to make a motion that the school committee endorse uh, the proposed adoption of ECRI. Member McLaughlin. Um, thank you for the uh, subcommittee um, curriculum report. Um, and I uh, wanted to add that, uh, again, getting to what was discussed earlier about level three, um, uh, students that were considering curriculum across the board for uh, our access and learning um, uh, language-based classrooms and um, that those questions are uh, part. I know that the uh, currently the curriculum subcommittee um, I don't believe has a member um, or I don't know if there is community involvement for uh, individuals um, that are tier three but if there are, if there aren't if if there could be um, some solicited for meetings related to that, that would be very helpful. So I just add that. And then I um, wanted to agree that a curriculum map would be very useful, um, especially as we're considering um, those, all three of those tiers. Thank you. Member Rousseau. Um, yes, thank you for the report. Um, it says the motion passed three to one. You can't have four members. Is it three to zero? Three, three zero. zero. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I just think that's, that's an important correction just because it would it is, be it is uh, an open meeting. Lot motion problem. for approval by member I, I to approve. McLaughlin, seconded by Member Rousseau. Member Rousseau. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? Committee report is adopted. We have a reporter mm -hmm. superintendent. <clears throat> would you like to table <laughs> that? <laughs> You don't want to talk for 20 minutes right now? Thank you. Right. Maybe we'll get it by email if any of it um, needs, and then well, disseminate it to the public. There was one piece of it that was worth. Was really important. Was worth yeah. Noting tonight, but she already left. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Motion to table by Member McLaughlin, seconded by sure. Member Graham. Um, save it for next time. You won't have to write. Sorry. Um, if I, may, if I may, well, just very briefly, uh, Rep Representative Donato did call and said that we were the, uh, the recipient of 287,000 workforce skills grant to buy manufacturing equipment for our vocational high school. <laughs> so thank you, Rep Donato, and our, the rest of our legislature, Rep Garbally, Rep. Um, 
Barbara and Senator Jalen. Thank you to, to them all. A motion to adjourn? God, yes. Motion to adjourn by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Graham. No. Good night. Get home safely.